Across the world, it's Wednesday night. It's sports night. You know who it is. You know who we are. You know you're in the right place for nonstop sports talk for two hours. Brother, get comfortable. Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods, live and in stereo here in the U92 studios. <laughs> I'm the weird one on this show. <laughs> Not after tonight, brother. Um, What's happening? We've got a jam-packed show, as always. An hour devoted to college sports. An hour devoted to professional sports. And an absolute grudge match here in the studio because it's Wizards-Grizzlies. It's happening. Grizzlies! What, oh, Timberwolves, sorry. It's happening right now, live and in studio. Thank you for closing that tab. Uh, we got a four-point ball game right now, my friend. And uh, we will be um, top left corner. And we will be updating you on that because it's a game that we each have a vested interest in. But before we do that... Uh, final uh, high school football segment of the year, Daniel. I wanted to touch on it really quickly. I wanted to get your picks uh, of all three classes. We got Rich County against Weenstown. Uh, we've got a chance for a number 16 seed to win a state championship for the first time since 696. The Appleman of Musselman. Daggone right. We've got one against two in AAA. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Martinsburg. i got to play safe. Hedge my bets there. I'm going senior. I'm feeling it. And I'm going Rich County. The Rebels. That, then that's Luke Wiggs' picks for the Super Six. This is high school football in West Virginia we're talking about, by the way. State championship for all three classes. I'm sticking with you on those, except I'm going with Williamstown and Tingle Light. Mm. I, like, I like the Yellow Jackets. I like the Maroon Yellow Jackets. What was? Do you remember what the final score of senior independence was? Because they played each other this year. They did? Didn't they? I don't remember them playing each other. I thought they did. Find each other. Oh, I'm sorry. They find each other again in the Class AA final was the misleading title. Okay. So we'll talk about that a little bit next week, but I just wanted to get your picks on there. Huntington, I think they have what it takes. I think they're all three going to be very good games. I really do. Um, you know, seniors coming in as an underdog, proverbially, if you will. Uh, you know, Richie County and Williamstown, they're different stylistically, but they're both very good teams. Uh, uh, Coach Hot's one of the best coaches in, in all of West Virginia, I think. Um, That's a really interesting coaching matchup for me with him and Billy Seals. Oh, yeah. Because that game's going to come down to coaching because they both have the athletes to win that game. I agree. And I got to see Richie County. They're the team that broke Clay Patel's hearts in the first round of the playoffs. I have to feel a little oh, bit. Oh, wait. There's two. I'm thinking of the coach from Martinsburg, who I believe his last name is also hot. Never mind. Okay. Well, the Richie County coach is a of a guy, too. Yeah. Um, uh, makes you look a little bit better, I think, if you're Clay Patel, if you lose to the team that then goes on to potentially win the class single A championship game. But uh, yeah, uh, so we'll keep you abreast on that situation next week when we come back. But the sports page, you're in the right place for the next two hours. Going to take a very quick break. Rich when we Sherman return. is the coach at, at Martinsburg. I have no idea what I'm talking about. All righty, uh, take a quick break. College basketball, then college football, then NFL, then NBA. It comes your way next here on 91.7 FM U92. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. I want to get back to seeing my grandbabies every Sunday and smothering them with big hugs and kisses. I want to get back to football games with my boys. 
I want to get back to feeling and touching, connecting with the people around me. I want to get back to family dinner and my grandma's mac and cheese. I want to get back to real grocery shopping, taking my time, walking down every aisle, smelling the tomatoes and melons, having a free sample or two or three. COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. But now there are vaccines and they are the first step that let us get back to feeling optimistic about the days ahead of us. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I get it? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Learn more at GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. If you want the new and essential college radio, then look no further than the new music pioneer on 91.7. Every Monday through Thursday from 3 to 6 p.m., tune in to hear the newest music from up-and-coming artists, along with some of our favorite throwback tracks. That's every Monday through Thursday, 3 to 6 p.m., the new music pioneer on U92 FM. This is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. And while she looked so sad in photographs, I absolutely love her when she smiles. How many days in a year? She woke up with hope, but she only found tears. And I can be so insincere. Uh, Alright. Somewhere my, uh... My middle school ex-girlfriend is just shedding a tear in her blinged out notebook because you play that song. I appreciate that. It's not the version of that song I was expecting. <laughs> that one completely hit me out of left field. Could you please put back on the uh, the Wizards game? Thank you, Daniel. We oh, have the, the version the I was. Oh, it's the radio mix that I was expecting. Oh, okay. My bad. Uh, okay. My bad, folks. That, that would have made it better. Just just pretend like you heard the radio mix, guys. All right, uh, Tanner's in studio. Tanner, what's up, man? Hey, how you guys doing? You've got an absolute. Titanium. This is what they build the spaceship out of. The skater. Set that down. Listen to the, the heavens. Listen to the girth behind this thing. This is this is a chunky boy. <laughs> he's just got here in studio. For those listening at home, he's talking about a water bottle. He's got, he's got a freaking soup can. Several soup cans put together in this Gatorade container that he's brought into studio. He's, what are you drinking? For those of you could. Um, that is some uh, like grape crystal light. All right. I don't trust you. <laughs> That was a very that was a very non-committal <laughs> answer. Dan is just bringing in a wine cooler live on the air. I love it. And this titanium Gatorade, to, to, to be clear, it is a Gatorade bottle. <laughs> it, it's, it's a hefty Gatorade bottle if I've ever seen one. If, if, if you get... It's the Yeti version. You know? Okay. If you get ye- uh, just mugged on the way home, you're just going to beat somebody <laughs> to death with a Gatorade bottle. I can't wait. 57-53, the score, uh, T-Wolves and WizKids at the half, and Daniels, Timberwolves for now. Uh, are winning the battle, but we'll see if they win the war. Um, speaking of battles won and lost, we'll also bring Daniel into the conversation as our resident Duke fan for whatever yeah. reason. What the Morgantown native. That was a heck of a voice. All right, track. all right, all right. You know, I, you know what I didn't do? I didn't lose to Ohio State. No, oh, uh, no but you also didn't do. You didn't beat Gonzaga. So Duke beats Gonzaga in Vegas, uh, 84-81, which was legitimately one of the best played college basketball games I've ever seen in terms of the shots that both teams were hitting. And Duke, in that moment, was the best team in college basketball. It's undeniable. 
Then they turn around and they they a little bit of a head scratcher here to Ohio State team. It's a good Ohio State team. EJ Liddell and I do want to talk about him really briefly at the end because he's a an enigma when it comes to pro prospect. Um, what do you make of this? So you, uh, college basketball parody. Ohio State should have been ranked. I think. Um, you beat the best team in college basketball, become the best team in college basketball, and then you turn around. Now, I understand Coach K said you're a little tired after this one, but what were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're jet-lagged going on the road to play at Ohio State, who's going to have a, a quality turnout. Obviously, it's not what you're looking for, but the result that matters is beating Gonzaga because you solidified yourself as a top-five team. You didn't come into this year as, someone, as a team that was considered a top-five team, and you've pretty much proven yourself to be that over the first couple of weeks. Uh, Wendell Moore has been a revelation on both sides of both sides of the ball for this team. He was somebody that I had been really disappointed in, uh, not just as a, a fan of the team, but as someone who saw him play in high school and saw what he was capable of, and just not see him do it over his first two years of college basketball. So he's he's been outstanding this year. Paulo Boncaro is going to be the number one pick. Uh, I don't care what you say about Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren. You, you can't turn down that package of skills. And, and then. In the Gonzaga game, Mark Williams was the best player on the floor. Mm. And, I mean, you, you saw in that game why Drew Timmy isn't considered a high-level NBA prospect. And it's because he's going to have to consistently go up against guys like Mark Williams in the NBA. And Mark Williams, I think, finished that game 18 points, 7 for 8 from the floor with 5 blocks on Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy on the inside, which is extremely impressive. If he can consistently have that type of performance. This is the best team in America, and it's not particularly close. Uh, I'll get, bring you in in just a second, Sandra. Is Theo John the backup big? The transfer from Marquette. Yeah, yeah. I like him a lot. He's Finishes great. over both shoulders. I mean, he didn't get to play. I'm not thrilled with the seven-and-a-half-man rotation that Duke kind of goes to. They did in the Gonzaga game. When A.J. Griffin's 100%, no, it's, it's going to completely turn on its head. Uh, Tanner, you can add your thoughts to this conversation if you want, but I saw a little bit of a grimace when Daniel said that Paolo was going to be the first I, I pick. Don't, I don't disagree, but his health is the only thing that scares me. I mm. mean, you see the cramping every night. I mean, what you know, ESPN had it on the game last night. He's losing seven pounds a game in sweat. That's not a sustainable Jeez. lifestyle, like at all. Um, so talent-wise, for sure, I completely agree with you. But, I mean, you know, he's got to be pulled out of these games so he can rehydrate and all that stuff. Um, that That's not a good thing. And, you know, obviously he needs to put his health first. That, that is the only thing that worries me uh, about him. Um, but talking about Ohio State, Ohio State's a quality basketball team. Two of the best players are not playing, and they're still able to upset Duke at home. Uh, yeah, Duke's coming off a tough win and whatnot. Uh, but Ohio State just played a really good Florida team and lost to them by three uh, last Wednesday. Um, and Ohio State's played an okay schedule so far, but they don't have Seth Towns or Justice Suing playing. Mm. And last night was all not about EJ Liddell. Um, Zed Key played one heck of a game as well. 20-piece. I mean, you know, Ohio State is looking for, you know, who's going to really carry this team. And both of these guys are prominent uh, players that could take on that role. And both of them showed up last night when the team needed it to. Yeah, Cedric Ru- Russell, excuse me, yeah, got oh, double yeah. figures off the bench. I mean, yeah, he hasn't played much at all this year, but he comes in and is mm-hmm. able to make a statement last night as well. I wanted to touch on EJ Liddell really quickly. Just interesting. Not, I mean, I always joke about bringing him up because he went to my dad's high school at Belleville West. I love him as a pro. I loved him as a pro prospect, Daniel, uh, as somebody that could step out, hit shots, versatile. I thought plays big, and then I found out something that absolutely shocked me. EJ Liddell was measured shoeless at six foot five and a half. Yeah, stunning. I mean, I knew he wasn't big, but I thought you know six seven, six eight. Man, is small. He's built like Sagaba Kanate. It is shocking. Well, even Kanate was what six eight, six nine. Not even close. Really? 
Kanate measured at six six and a half at the combine. Okay, I mean, st- oh, I see, but still without shoes. Right. Okay, but still, that's an inch taller than Liddell, who went from being an interesting second round pick to me as somebody that could be an NBA four to now. I don't think he has NBA potential at all. It's possible. Um, there's a market for that type of player if you can guard threes. That's that's going to be the key for him. He can if he can be a Jay Sean. If he can be the type of player that Jay Sean Tate is for the Houston Rockets, where you're a physical presence at six 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 seven, can knock down an open three, can put the ball on the floor, and can guard threes and fours. I think there's a spot for him in the league, but he hasn't shown any ability to guard wings so far in his collegiate career. I mean, I'm rooting for him. Jay Sean Tate, former High State Buckeye. Oh, there you go. Hey, there you go. Uh, uh, upcoming uh, schedule sorry. for Ohio State, by the way: Penn State, Townsend, and then they got to rank Wisconsin matchup, Kentucky. Uh, that Kentucky game will be fun. That oh, one, it's going to be a ton of Vegas fun. too. What's so? What's Ohio State jump to in the next day, people? Eighteen uh, at least. They were already ranked this season, but the loss to Xavier really put them out. Um, they just didn't play well that game. I, I think that Ohio State and really the entire Big Ten has a chance to beat each other up. Mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, uh, we see the Big Ten is just beating the ACC in this Big Ten ACC challenge. Oh, uh, dominant. N- no problem whatsoever. And, you know, everybody's talking about how deep the Big 12 is, but I think that they're overlooking the Big Ten as well. Uh, I think those are the two best conferences in college basketball, and it's going to be whoever didn't beat each other up the most at the end of the year is going to put more teams into the tournament, I guess. That's well, the best way to put it. You know, Tanner, it's funny that you bring that up because that's what we're going to talk well, about I, right now. I, I know. I didn't want to jump the gun there a little bit. But no, I appreciate the segue. Like, you You're know, doing my job. I no. might as well go home. Um <laughs> So, I wanted to talk about that, because I think college basketball, it's a fun conversation to have every year. Is it the ACC? Is it the Big Ten? Is it the Big 12? What's the best conference college basketball? I don't think we know that right now. No, hopefully, hopefully, we'll know by the end of the season. I, I think with uh, the way Iowa State's been playing, we'll talk about them here in just a second, that the Big 12 is going to elevate their stock. But I wanted to ask you this. I'll start with you, Tanner, yeah. before we go to Daniel. Is the Big 12 trending towards being the runaway best conference college basketball uh, based on... BYU joining the conference is number 12 right now uh, based on Houston, and their defense is 15th right now. Cincinnati has had some good seasons yeah. in basketball. You lose Texas, obviously. Oklahoma, not a huge specifically in basketball, right. not a huge loss. Net gain. To, uh, go into the time machine three years from now with how these teams are playing, assuming that they can keep the status quo and the coaches that they have in place. To me, those teams solidify the Big 12 being the best conference college basketball. I don't know if I can agree with you there. I mean, I, I think that, yeah, you know, year in and year out, they're going to be up there, but I don't think that they're just going to be able to dominate uh, the way that you're describing. You look at the Big 10, I mean, you've got Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin, like, all of these are staple college basketball teams that you see in the tournament every single year. Same goes for the Big 12. It's really just going to be about who's going to put up more wins. I, I, I think that these two are going to be competing for dominance now. At this point, and the ACC and the SEC are going to be second thoughts. Just, I mean, you, you look at, you know, we've already talked about it. The Big Ten has been destroying the ACC. They've got Louisville and or Louisville and Duke and then the SEC. They're, they're starting to become more of a basketball conference, really, when we look at it. You've got Alabama, who's got a top ten matchup in basketball and football this upcoming weekend, even though they're just a football school. We can get into that if we want. Um, but, <laughs> you know. I think that the ACC is falling behind on every front and every sport, and you're seeing the Big 12 kind of get up some momentum, which is something we we got to be excited to see as West Virginia people. Uh, well, your thoughts on that, Daniel, because I think where I would respond to you, Tanner, and I agree, don't get me wrong, is that top to bottom, when you talk about depth, where the Big 12 went into adding those teams uh, would basketball. have the advantage in basketball. 
look at the Big Ten standings in basketball right now. I I, I don't I don't see it. I re- I mean Michigan State is a top twenty five team and they're behind the highest state in the rankings of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Well, Daniel, your thoughts on the situation? I'm going to go a completely different angle from Tanner and say that if the coaches that are coaching in the SEC right now stay coaching in the SEC, it's not going to be remotely close uh, just because of the quality of coaches that you see there and the quality of recruits that they're bringing in right now. You look at the, the 2020 – wait, that's 2021. I want 2022. Never mind. Uh, but you look at the coaches that are in that league right now, and you've got John Calipari, you've got the, the old guard, your John Calipari's, your Rick Barnes, those guys who are great coaches, obviously. But then you look further down the conference – Eric Musselman's doing good things at Arkansas. Nate Oates is doing great things at Alabama. Buzz Williams is getting Texas A&M turned around. Uh, Will Wade is still making strong blank offers at LSU, who, as I look at the class of 2022 rankings, isn't in the top 10, but had the number seven recruiting class in America for 2021. Uh, Tom Crean probably isn't going to be at Georgia all that much longer, but he's still a great coach. I I just look at what's going on with these teams. You've got Arkansas on the rise, who has the number two recruiting class in 2022. Alabama's number three. You know Kentucky's going to have a great class with Calipari. They're at eight now. I'd expect them to move up uh, in those rankings. Rick Barnes, strategically, in my mind, is one of the very best coaches in the country. And you've got Williams at Texas A&M. I think you've got ceiling raisers for coaches at so many schools in the SEC that I look two to three years down the line, and I see that being the clear-cut best conference in basketball. Mm, That's fascinating, because I would respond to you by raising you a Scott Drew and a Bill Self and a Bob Huggins and a, uh, wow, Houston's coach, Samson, Kelvin Samson. Samson. in terms of quality that. of coaches as well. Uh, I, I guess the point is... you got to give Mark Pope at BYU his flowers, too. Yeah, well, I would have, but I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I guess the point is... So it would be one of those three teams. You wouldn't go off the board with the ACC Pac-12 in that situation. I, I, I guess... And another thing that bolsters your SEC comment then would be Texas going there, if what we think Beard is able to do. So I, I guess I'm fighting a losing battle with myself, but I don't no, know. I, 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 I look at Houston doing great things. Uh, right now, and I, I look at Cincinnati still not necessarily the best year by their standards. BYU coming in, Kansas and Baylor have solidified themselves as top ten programs, and I think we like the pieces that. Oh my goodness, Montrez Harrell, that's a highlight. Sorry, um, the, the the pieces that WVU have coming in to solidify as well. Wes Miller at Cincinnati is going to do good things. I I agree. I fully believe in that man as as the head coach for Cincinnati going into a Power 5 conference. I don't know. I guess we'll have to win. Uh... I, I, I think that college basketball is just going to benefit. Uh, I mean, you've got so many young coaches in the game, NIL's coming in, and, and I think you're going to see a separation a little bit, not completely. But you saw it last year with Duke and Kentucky, these blue blood programs, Kansas. They're kind of shifting away from the one and done, not entirely, but they're also recruiting guys that are going to be you know three-, four-year players. And, and college basketball is going to transition – back a little bit before what the, was the one and done, and, if, if that makes sense. Sure. And uh, to add another name to that conversation for the Big 12 that I think would make them a tantalizing conference when it comes to collegiate basketball is Coach Oates and those Iowa State Cyclones that, in many people's estimations, were picked dead last in the Big 12. And yet here they are, undefeated, with a win over Memphis. Isaiah Brockington is playing some very good ball, Daniel, at 15 points per game. Uh 
three different players in double figures. So they can score the ball a little bit, but what this team is doing defensively uh, is phenomenal. 44th in points allowed, 21st in opponents' three-point percentages, and just 15th in terms of three-pointers made because they are crowding the three-point line. And again, with quality wins, I'm not implying to come in here to say that Iowa State is going to run away and finish in the top 10, but this is absolutely a great start to a preseason for a team that we thought was going to have a terrible, terrible season uh, in college basketball that's gotten off to a red-hot start. I would have to agree with that. I'm not sure how much I buy into it because I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure how much I buy into Xavier and Memphis as high quality wins. To be completely honest, I think Memphis has some pretty big issues that they're going to have to deal with and we're very highly rated for what they're actually worth at number nine. But I agree with you uh, with Brockington, with the other guys that are putting the ball in the basket, Gabe Kalsher. I think the clear thing for me for Iowa State is they have had guys step up into starring roles that we didn't expect them to do based on where what they had done before. Uh, TJ Otzelberger had to fill this roster out with a bunch of transfers and freshmen this year, and those are the guys that have stepped up. I mean, Brockington scored 12.5 points a game last year at Penn State, who was pretty much awful in the Big Ten. Uh, Kalsher's another Big, tw- Big Ten transfer that never averaged more than 11 points a game at Minnesota uh, in three years. Tyrese Hunter is getting his name on some list for the NBA draft. I'm not sure he's a 2021 guy. 2022 guy would be the, the draft that he would fall into. Uh, but he's uh, getting to be a really interesting name so far. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that this guy's name is pronounced Aljaz Kunch, I believe. Sure. Uh, transfer from Washington State who averaged six points a game uh, for them that has stepped into a, a solid role on this team as well. Uh, but this is a, an interesting team to me. I'm not ready to buy on them, mostly because of my doubts about Xavier and Memphis, and the other four wins that they have aren't particularly great. So uh, they're better than I expected them to be. I'm just not sure how much better they are than I expected them to be, to be completely honest. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I mean, their their margin of victory, really, besides the Grambling State game, is no more than 10. They beat Memphis by close to 20, but other than that... Uh, I mean, I guess you could say that's, you know, luck of the draw or whatever you want to say. But I, I think we'll see how good a team they are when it comes into uh, Big 12 play here. It's not very long from today. Um, they'll have another test against Iowa upcoming as well on the ninth. But I guess they're just a surprise, you know, nice little story so far right now. All right, that's the conversation on Iowa State. And uh, for the Big 12 teams that have a combined eight losses, I was going to add up the wins really quickly. Everybody's gotten off to a good start, save Kansas State, who's 3-2. and two, So I think you're in pretty good shape with Jamie Dixon and his boys at 5-1. and one. Obviously, West Virginia just with the one loss as well. Uh, final question I want to ask you guys before we take a break and turn our attention to college football. Uh, college basketball is a difficult sport to cover, and I want to make sure that we are as in – inclusive of a show as possible here uh in the 30 minutes that were allotted here by a very busy show so i just kind of wanted to ask you guys go off the board uh tanner i'll start with you in the world of college basketball with all 360 whatever it is eligible teams besides what we've talked about what caught your eye here through the first couple of weeks i guess i mean i i don't even it's so hard to pick because like (laughs) i mean there's just so much going on in the world of college basketball um but I, I want to say, probably, like, just how poorly the ACC has fared, right? I mean, the ACC is, in my mind, is always more of a basketball conference anyway. Um, 
and, and they really just haven't played that great up to their potential. A lot of their teams, I mean, you know, Duke has, and that's fine, but uh, the middle of the pack in the ACC, I think, has struggled uh, more than I thought they would. Clemson's been better than people have thought, but they didn't play very well in that Charleston Classic after the first game. Um, and, and, you know, I think that they'll get it back on track, but, you know, we see all these coaching changes. We haven't seen very much in the ACC that I can recall off the top of my head. Um, you know, like Miami basketball, uh, they've had the same coach. I've, his last name's slipping my Jim mind. Jim Laranega. Yeah, Laranega's been there forever. Biggest crook in the sport. Right, but they, they haven't done anything in a long time. So I, I think that the ACC has just disappointed me personally. Um, but I, I don't know what you guys think. It, it's, it's hard to pick that. No, I would tend to agree. Daniel, anything? Four, weeks, four five games in. Anything that's got your eye on the world Arizona, college basketball? Man. Oh, yeah. The, the I'm glad Wildcats. we brought him up. You weren't, you weren't on for our college basketball preview a couple weeks ago, but I picked Azulis Tubelis as my Pac-12 player of the year. I love that. Uh, coming from Arizona. They're going to go into December now 6-0 and with an 18-point win over Arizona, uh, an overtime win over a quality Wichita State team. And, and then their other wins are fine, but they've blown teams out. They beat Air- Northern Arizona by 29. They beat UT Rio Grande by 54 they beat north dakota state by 52 and they beat sacramento state let's see how great my mental math is by 46 uh they've put up 100 points twice they put up 97 against north dakota state and now they open up pac-12 play really early they open up pac-12 play on thursday against washington but they're up to number 11 in the country uh tubelis is doing really really good things 16 and a half points six and a half rebounds over two assists and a block per game on 62 percent from the field christian coloco has been outstanding he's averaging 16 points seven and a half boards and three and a half blocks a game he gave hunter dickinson all kinds of problems in that game against Michigan. We talked about Mark Williams proving why Drew Timmy isn't a high-level NBA prospect. Christian Coloco proved why Hunter Dickinson isn't a high-level NBA prospect in that game. Ben Matherin's putting the ball in the hole. And then maybe one of the more underrated, I don't want to say more underrated players in the country because he's not a high-end player in the country, one of the more underrated role pieces in the in the country is Kirk Creesa, the point guard for for Arizona. He's not shot the ball well to start the year, just thirty five percent from the floor and thirty three percent from three. But he's still scoring ten points a game, dishing out five assists, and uh, picking up a steal and a half per game, and only turning the ball over once a game. And that man wants all of the smoke, like. That Wichita State game, and it carried over into the Michigan game. You saw on national television, Kirk Creesa will pull a switchblade out of his shoe and cut your throat to win a basketball game. Big fan of that. And I I absolutely love the mindset that Tommy Lloyd has instilled in this team. I love the way that they play basketball through Tubelis and Coloco, which was what I talked about uh, in the preview, talking about Tommy Lloyd coming from Gonzaga where they play through the bigs. I, I love Arizona. I think that they are legitimately a dark horse to win the national championship this year. And we wow. knew that Sean Miller had the ability to bring talent into that program, whether it was through scrupulous means or not. And now Tommy Lloyd, who is an outstanding coach, is reaping the benefits. All righty. That's going to do it for this edition of College Basketball, the first segment to lead off shows for the probably the remainder of the college basketball season. Take a very quick break. We'll turn to college football. And we'll be joined by Logan himself as the sports page rolls on here on 91.7 FM U92. Take a walk back in time with U92's own Time Warp. Tune in as we start with the legendary founders of rock and roll from the swinging 50s. 
Then we move along to the psychedelic 60s to be taken through the British invasion and plenty more. We fly on over to the disco-infused 1970s to hear the origins of punk, synthesizers, and more. We touch down in the electronic 80s. Is it classic rock? U92 The Moose has you covered. This is the Time Warp. Remember to tune in every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. until noon, only on 91.7. Join U92 Saturdays, 10 p.m. to midnight for a journey through the audio swap. An uncultured but not uncivilized excursion through a broad audio spectrum. And we'll throw in a few curves just for fun. Saturdays, 10 to midnight on the Moose. The soulful sounds of the blues from Memphis to Kansas City. Across the country and around the world. Hear the distinctively American music that inspired generations of rock and roll and much more. On the Blind Alley, every Sunday morning. At the corner of Sacred and Profane, it's the Blind Alley on U92 The Moose every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Sports page continues here at 91.7 FM, U92. Shout out to Skull and shout out to Less Than Jake. All right. A um, lot to talk about here in the college football segment, so uh, we're going to get into it. I didn't include this in the rundown because this was a classic. Luke wants to bring this up because he's being a good host, but then you guys yell at him for no reason because he's just trying to drive the conversation. Uh, Tanner is my favorite yeller at Luker. Um, do we want to give any love as uh, hosts of this esteemed college football segment to the, the classic college football Twitter, uh, Nebraska goes 3-9, and nine, but they have an absolute bang average point differential because of that 49 point. Are they the best 3-9 and nine team in the history of college I football? I completely agree with you. Okay, good. 100%. Oh, yeah. I love Scott Frost. Oh, thank goodness. That, that's why they kept him there. Statistically, they are. Stati- I mean, Scott Frost, he's... I was worried I, someone's going to come for no, my I, job. I know you're going to lie. You know, we weren't on last week. I wanted to say... Somebody's got to check Scott Frost's bank accounts because he must have been betting his own private spread every week Nebraska loses by nine or less every single week because there's just no way. I mean, it, at the beginning of the year, you'd say, hey, Nebraska's going to be in a one-possession game every week. Are they going to be three and nine? No way. But they are. <laughs> what? 
Okay. Doesn't make any sense. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, by the way, the Mountaineer women's basketball team in action, uh, they're down 20-plus to Kentucky, so it looks like it's going to be two consecutive losses for Mike Carey. Um, and in the Wizards game, it is a four-point Timberwolves lead right now. Carl Anthony Towns with a big top-of-the-key three uh, to keep things going. He's going off, from what I understand. He, he had a little shaken up. Though. He did. He got he banged up. The, the Wizards are meeting him at the rim, and they're, they're, they're trying to do their thing. All right, guys, uh, we got to keep this brief, but I want to go through all of the big uh, coaching hires. By the way, Rich Rodriguez, employed full-time as an HC. Congratulations to him, I he'll guess. Be in, he'll be back in FBS in two years, 2023, I believe. Is it two years? Jacksonville State will join, the, join Conference USA in 2023. I didn't realize it was that soon. That's crazy. All right, so I want to give you guys each a chance to uh, share your thoughts on each of these coaching hires, so keep your comments brief as we'll go around the table, uh, and then we're going to pick some conference championship games, um, and then we're going to play our final edition of the Coach's Hot Seat of this season. It is going to be a sad occasion uh daniel i'll begin with you brian kelly to the bayou and lsu c plus oh by the way i should out of 10 out of 10 out of 10 10. okay (laughs) out of 10 c plus out of 10 i'll give it a six uh, out of 10 i'll say for brian kelly simply because i think he's a very good football coach um but he's never the furthest south he has ever coached is the city of cincinnati uh he's a michigan guy uh he cut his teeth at grand valley state he got his first uh, FBS head coaching job at Central Michigan, parlayed that into Cincinnati, and then went to uh, Notre Dame off of that. So I think from just a pure on-field coaching perspective, great hire. All the other stuff, I don't know, simply because, like I said, he's never coached south of Cincinnati. So you have to get in the mud to recruit in the SEC. I'm going to be just completely honest with that. you got to get down and dirty to recruit in the SEC and deal with these other schools that are dropping bags on prospects left and right. And the Notre Dames and the Michigans, the Brian Kellys and the Jim Harbaugh's are the ones that have been vocally speaking out and saying, you know, this is taking away from what the sport is supposed to be. This is not what college football is. And now he's got to be able to do that to compete in the SEC, which I just don't see happening. And there's other off-the-field issues, too. There's uh, Title IX issues that went on with him at Notre Dame, and there is now he's now going into the belly of the beast with that in a program at LSU that has largely, under Ed Ogeron and Les Miles, overlooked tons of Title IX issues with with players doing unspeakable things off the field that haven't been addressed by the coaching staffs. And it was it's not that prolific in the program at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly, but there's there's examples that I'm not gonna go into on the air here, uh, with what Brian with what Brian Kelly oversaw at Notre Dame that he let slide. So you're going into a situation at LSU where that Title IX department needs to get cleaned the heck up and figure out what they're doing with this football program. And you've got a coach in Brian Kelly coming down there who has had administrative issues himself in the past with Title IX issues and with other, other issues that include a student assistant under his watch losing his life due to the conditions that he put him in with a, with a camera tower collapsing. You've got a program that is trying to completely cut ties with the Les Miles era and the Ed Ogeron era, largely because of off-the-field issues that came with those two coaches. I I can tell you for a fact that the reporting that has gone on in this coaching search was the reason that Lane Kiffin wasn't considered 
And the reason that, that Dave Aranda wasn't considered for this job, and they weren't by Scott Woodward, the AD, is because they wanted no one with ties to Ed Ogeron and Les Miles for those reasons. And you're bringing in a guy that has had those problems at Notre Dame. I've talked myself into lowering this grade. I'm going to probably give it like a three and a half now when I came in on a six based on his ability to coach. Great start. Three and a half. Logan. Uh, I'm going opposite. I think it's a 10. Ooh. I think Ed Ogeron, while not being a great coach, is a world-class recruiter. And I know they've lost some guys, but I think he's assembled a ton of talent at LSU. Um, that, I don't know if Brian Kelly can recruit long-term, but I think the way Brian Kelly's been able to turn around programs very quickly, um, I think I think they can compete for a national title within two years with the talent that he has. So, I, I agree with Logan. Uh, I mean, on the field, Brian Kelly's going to make one world of a difference. And, you know, it's one bad year at LSU. That's fine. But Brian Kelly has, for all of the love that Notre Dame gets, he's still proven it on the field to a certain extent. And, you know, this year we saw that Ed Ogeron and his game management wasn't perfect, and, you know, that was the reason that they've lost a couple games here. And so the talent is still there at LSU. Brian Kelly's going to be able to take that talent and go win a lot of football games. And, and in the SEC, you, you need to be able to make those in-game adjustments, and I think that's what he gives them. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, a four-year stretch like Brian Kelly had at Notre Dame with a four and eight and three eight and fives is going to get you fired. I, I was about well, I don't to say. Disagree with that. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I think you downgrade the recruiting department, you upgrade the head coaching department. You're going to have a, a, a not great season right off the rip for Kelly. I think seven to five, eight and four, something like that. If you don't have back to back nine one seasons or better, I think you're gone. But I would agree well, with I, you that, guys. That buyout's going to be big. It, well, that's the problem I mean, with these yeah, contracts. You're absolutely right. These you're contracts are right. insane. Well, things would get questionable for your your ability to be right, the head coach right. of that team after that. But I think he's a good enough coach. That's a great point you bring up about the talent as well. Uh, he squeezed everything out of Notre Dame. I think he had right. talent wise. I mean, you, the talent pool at LSU is way yeah. way Come above, on. way below. That's what first round LSU. pick. Jack Cohn says right. Ethan Collins yeah, like right three years ago. And it's going to be a sad day. All right, uh, back to you, Tanner. As Riley takes his talents out to California, that's Lincoln Riley. I think that that's a home run for USC. Uh, I think Lincoln Riley's smart to not stay with Oklahoma and go to the SEC um, because that uh, that Oklahoma job becomes almost impossible for the expectations there. Um, so he got out, he got paid, and he gets to live in L.A. You know, there's nothing going wrong with this. And, and the Pac-12 is way easier to win in than both the Big 12 and the SEC. Um, Lincoln Riley doesn't even have to sell his own house anymore. So I, I think that everything is going to work out. We can we see how good of a recruiter he is. We see how good of a coach he is. He's already got guys that were committed to Oklahoma to come play from there, flipping. He's got the number two player right. in the country. I, I mean, it, USC is – I'm not going to say they're going to be back right away. Mm. It's going to take, you know, a year or two. But all he's competing with is Mario Cristobal up at Oregon and maybe Chip Kelly at UCLA. Who knows? Chip Kelly might get a different job. I, I don't know. Uh, with all these other things that are going on. But for USC, this is... Chip the, Kelly's the, going to Oklahoma, didn't you hear? <laughs> we'll get to that, that later that on. Don't something. Worry. But this is the dream scenario for USC. Uh, and it gave, it, Lincoln Riley's been you know one of the most talked about coaching gets in, for a long time. And, and Oklahoma's not a program you're used to leaving, and he did that. First real coaching search since 1948 is what I wow. Oklahoma. Did you guys see the Oklahoma reporter that uh, asked today... Uh, or said today that he can't think of a 48-hour stretch in a college football program worse than what Oklahoma's gone through in the last That's two days. That's just an unbelievably irresponsible thing. Well, I, 
but the people at Notre Dame are freaking out too. I know. We had this conversation about like, an hour it, earlier. It's, it's funny to, to see, see these programs that have never gone I through mean, it go through it because they think it's the worst thing in the history of sports, and it's happened to so many other college I mean, programs it, it, over it and over at, what, and Alabama, over. Alabama, Ohio State. Yeah, Notre, like, is it worse though than the Penn, top six Pitt, programs? Yeah. Penn State in 2011. Yeah, I was about I mean, to. Well, that's the well, point. You thought your program was done. That's the point. We've had people. We've had people commit murders. Like that. There has been, and like you mentioned, Penn State. SMU wasn't allowed to have a program for a full year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we get your thoughts on uh, Lincoln Riley. I'm going to say an 8.5. I think it's a. I think it's a good hire. I'm still not convinced. I'm convinced they can win 11 and 12 games in the Pac-12, but can they win national titles and compete with LSU, Alabama, to the likes of those programs? So I'm going to say it's a great hire. Um, I think he changes the culture there, and it's a home run for them to get him. To I agree. pull him from Oklahoma. That's huge. Um, and they'll win. He'll probably win seven or eight straight. Pac-12 titles, but I just don't know if he can compete for the national titles when he gets to the playoff. This is a nine and a half for me. I think Mike Bond, uh, who's the running the athletic department at uh, USC, absolutely crushed this one. You've got Lincoln Riley coming in, who's an extremely charismatic head coach, and yes, he's an outstanding offensive schematic coach, but the key for me is the, the charisma that he brings to this on the recruiting trail, because Clay Helton struggled to build a fence around Southern California. If Lincoln Riley can go out and he can kick Alabama and Clemson out of Southern California, which I think he's got the ability to do on the recruiting trail, USC is going to be back, and it's going to be back in a big way. Uh, because if, first of all, if you get those guys, you're getting the best athletes in your backyard. But as I said, Alabama and Clemson then aren't getting those athletes that, anymore. That's a huge point, yeah. I, I, I mean, Najee Harris is from the more Northern California, San Francisco, but Najee Harris doesn't go to Alabama. What's Alabama's situation in the last couple of years? Mm -hmm. I get that he's not had a great year. DJ Uyangalele is a Southern California kid. He went across the country to Clemson. That's just a couple of examples of guys that USC wasn't able to keep in the state of California. So if Lincoln Riley can go out on the recruiting trail and keep those kids at home, I, I think this is an absolute home run of a hire, uh, like Tanner said. I do have to knock half a point off, though. Uh, because he's going to have to rename his dogs, which are named Boomer and Sooner. Darn. All right, let's move a little bit quicker through these other ones. Billy Napier, Daniel, gets the nod, the new head coach of Florida. Uh, this is an absolute outstanding hire uh, for Florida, I think. Uh, he's not proven at the Power 5 level. I'll give it an 8. Uh, I, but this is what Florida wanted. Uh, Scott Strickland, uh, by all reports, settled on Billy Napier at the beginning of the process, went through the process, did the interviews, and got Billy Napier in the end. Which, if you have that kind of commitment to a candidate from start to finish, I think you've nailed you've nailed it right on the head. Billy Napier has turned down jobs all across the country. He was in the consideration for Virginia Tech this year. He turned down Auburn. He turned down South Carolina last year because he was waiting for the right spot. And I think Florida could be it for him. I agree, with Daniel. I said eight. You know, I think he's the opposite of Dan Mullen. Mullen not known to be a huge recruiter, and Napier is known to be a grinder. And you have to out recruit. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, now Brian Kelly. You have to out-recruit people in the SEC to get all these top-tier players, and that's damn all and couldn't do that. I think Billy Napier, like Daniel said, is not proven at, at, a, at a Power 5 level, but I do think I think that's a good good pick. Yeah, I, I agree. You forgot Sarkeesian there, too. Um, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think Napier – He's the example of patience and waiting for the right job. I don't think at the beginning of the year he ever thought Florida was going to be available because nobody thought Dan Mullen was going to be fired at the end of the year. Um, but 
what a what what better job was there to go to for a guy like this? He's waited, he's coached at the Louisiana Raging Cajun very successfully for the last couple of years, and now he's going to have a chance to go make a splash there in Gainesville. Um, I just don't know if Florida's going to regret for moving on from Dan Mullen so quickly. Uh, from TCU to SMU, Sonny Dykes, Tanner. I, I think that it's a good hire. Uh, TCU, I mean, they, they've been stalemated with Gary Patterson for so long. It, it's just fresh blood in the water. So, you know, he's going to have the chance to build his program there, and we can see what happens. But uh, I think for TCU, it's a good good start. I'd say probably five or six. Um I mean, you know, besides Brian Kelly, he's one of the oldest guys on this list. So, I mean, he he had that coaching stint at Cal. Um, but he does have good, you know, high school ties in Texas, so maybe he can recruit a little better at TCU. Um, I just don't see TCU being a top-tier Big 12 program. I see him being an average program, so I don't see – I see it's about a five. Uh, Sonny Dykes. I like Sonny Dykes uh, for TCU. I would have liked him better for Texas Tech. We talked about this on the WVU show earlier. His father, Spike Dykes, was an outstanding coach at Texas Tech, and Texas Tech passed over him to hire Joey McGuire uh, away from the Baylor staff. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic moving forward. But uh, I think his situation at Cal uh, was a tough one just because it's so hard to build a, a cohesive roster at Cal. They had great offenses but no defense. Justin Wilcox has come in. They've had a great defense but no offense. Uh, so I think a lot of that largely had to do with the issues with Cal and less with Sonny Dykes. He went to SMU, has done some really good things in a really hard place to win, and now he's going to get an opportunity in the Power Five. He's just moving right across town, so he's going to be recruiting a lot of the same guys. Uh, he's going to be going into a lot of the same high schools to get recruits. So from my perspective, I think this is a pretty good hire. If I had to put a number on it, I'd say seven. I'm not as elated about it as I am about Lincoln Riley or Billy Napier, but I think it's a good one for TCU. All right, guys, one word answer or one number answer for these remaining two. Tanner, beginning with you, and Kalen DeBoer of Washington. Six. Seven. Right. Solid seven. I'm on a seven as well. All right, and Brent Pry going to VT, the coordinator. Uh, Daniel. Come back to me because I want to get into this one a little bit. Okay. If, if that's all right. Tanner. Eight. I think it's a great hire. I would say a nine. I think in real quick, I think in maybe three or four years, we're going to look back and be like, wow, they, they stole somebody from Penn State that should that's going to be a great power. I was discussion. about to say, I think I would agree with that as well. But Daniel, briefly. I'm going to give this – am I going to give it a higher – I can't give it a higher grade than Lincoln Riley. I'm going to give it a nine uh, because Brent Pry, coming from his background, is everything that the fan base wants at Virginia Tech. He comes from a situation where his father was, I believe, a high school coach in the state of Virginia that was very close uh, with several members of the uh, Frank Beamer uh, Virginia Tech staff, including Bud Foster, who was the defensive coordinator for so long for Frank Beamer. And Brent Pry is the modern version of Bud Foster, who so many people wanted to get that job over Justin Fuente after Frank Beamer retired. I think Brent Pry is going to come in. He was a GA at Virginia Tech. He understands what it takes to win in Blacksburg. He worked under Bud Foster. He's a very similar type of coach schematically and in just, just his personality and what he does. He's been there every step of the way for James Franklin's turnaround to Penn State. 
and I think this is an outstanding hire. I get that he hasn't been a head coach before, but he's the guy that you want out of the James Franklin tree, and he's going to step in, and he understands what it takes to win there. All right, guys, conference championships now. Uh, keep this one brief as well. Give me who's going to win each game and why. Try to keep it salesman. Keep it in 30 seconds. We're radio people, after all. Keep it on the clock. We begin with Tanner. We begin in the Pac-12. It's number 17, Utah. It's number 10, Oregon. Utah favored by three. Tanner, who's winning this one? I think it's Utah. They already beat him once. Hey, can't argue with that, Logan. Uh, I would agree. I think they already beat him once, and I just don't think the quarterback play for Oregon is that good. I think it could be another ugly first half for Oregon. Yeah, this one I'm not as interested in, to be honest no. with you. It's on a Friday night, 8 p.m. I'm going to be I'm going to be preoccupied. Daniel? Yeah, I like Utah in this one. I just don't think Oregon can win the line of scrimmage. They didn't do it the first time, and they, like Logan said, they don't have the passing game over the top to make up for it. All right, Daniel, Oklahoma State and Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma State's favored by five and a half. It's number five. Are the Cowboys against the Bears number nine? I like Oklahoma State in this one. Uh, that defense is just too much to handle. Gary Bohannon, we don't know if he's 100% at this point. Blake Shapin looked good in, in his last start in place of Bohannon, but uh, we're just not sure what that quarterback position is going to look like. That front seven for Oklahoma State is monstrous. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, is already being courted by a lot of the big boys, including Billy Napier, to be his initial defensive coordinator at Florida. I really like Oklahoma State on the defensive side of the ball. Spencer Sanders has been fine enough. He's not turning the ball over a lot. And Jalen Warren uh, can really tote the rock and, and win you some possession uh, when you've got the ball in your hands. So I like Oklahoma State. Logan? Oklahoma State, I mean, I think they're just too talented. Even as many mistakes as we saw them play against in Bedlam, you know, muff punt, touchdown, interception, mm-hmm. touchdown, tons of penalties. They were still able to outplay Oklahoma in that game. I think they're just too talented. I think they see how close they are to securing that fourth playoff spot. So I think they win by two touchdowns. Right. I mean, you know, Logan said it right there. If they can just clean up their own personal mistakes, they're, they're going to be there. Uh, and who would have thought it was Mike Gundy representing the Big 12 in the, in the college football playoff this year? Who would have thunk it? Uh, I was about to say, they win. They're in the college football right. playoff, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, no disagreement there? Okay. Uh, Tanner, Georgia-Alabama, I think we could also maybe agree that this is must-win for Alabama to get into the playoff. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to win it. So no, it Georgia's favored I mean, by six and a half. Right. It's number one team in the country against Take number three. that all day long if you can. Uh, Georgia's going to roll. A- Alabama, I mean, you saw how much they struggled last week at, at Auburn uh, against a backup QB. Bryce Young got lucky on one throw at the end of the game, and that's what it took him to get to overtime. And the new overtime sucks anyway. We can get into that at a different time. Yeah, I agree. Logan? It's not close. I think they're favored by six, but I think Georgia wins by 20-plus. Which is cr- that's crazy. Love that. Love that. I love that. Sweet. That's usually Alabama that's beating right. a top-five team by, you know, 15 points. Daniel, are we going unanimous here? I like Georgia here as well, and again, it's a situation where the defense is too much for me. We've seen the Alabama offensive line struggle in games that they've played close this year. Jordan Carter is an absolute freak of nature on the defensive line. He's one of the quickest guys in the country. He's over 300 pounds, over six foot five and you're just not able to block him. He's going to do horrible, horrible things with the interior lineman for Alabama, and if anybody gets through that line, N'Kobe Dean's waiting at the second level, and he'll blow your freaking head off. Dude, he's an animal, the D-tackle. I think he's... Jordan Carter, he's oh, amazing. Insane. He's, uh, he's, it's, it's literally like two people moving with the quickness of one. I'd like to see, honestly, we'll talk about this in the NFL segment, um, when you've got Thibodeau and you've got um, Hutchinson... I almost would rather have him. I don't. Hutchinson. Hutchinson haven't had a heck of a season. Ohio State. I know. I watched I mean, that whole game. Good and we'll talk about that next in the NFL segment. I wish we had more time. I apologize. By the way, lame. You guys are all going chalk. Uh, uh, Daniel, Cincinnati against Houston. 
I think Cincinnati has gotten to the point where I could definitively say it's winning. They get in. I think it's definitive. You win by two touchdowns and you get in. Uh, they're favored by ten and a half in this one against the Fighting Holgersons. <laughs> Cincinnati's corners might catch more passes than Houston receivers in this game. <laughs> uh, Clayton Toon's been fine this year. He hasn't played a defense like this. That secondary is ridiculous for Cincinnati. Desmond Ritter is going to do enough on the offensive side of the ball for them to win this game. I mean, we got seven years. Do you think we saw Dana? Do you think he's going to win a big game? He never did seven years here. So, I mean, that's the prediction right there. Oh, I love that. Geez. Yeah, give me the sauce in Cincinnati. Man. They got it. <laughs> it's a sauce Gardner, baby. Right. All right. Um, Iowa and Michigan, like we all expected in the Big Ten championship game. Michigan coming off of that big win against Ohio State. Iowa, just because somebody needed to represent the West. Tanner, who do you got in this one with Michigan favored I, I, by 11? I, I like me chicken to win. Uh, I mean – it was fun to see the city of Columbus last weekend just in shambles after Harbaugh beat him for the first time. Uh, I, I think that Michigan, coming off the biggest win in program history in the last 15 years, they're riding high. They're going to go in. And, and Iowa just – we saw how good that Michigan defense was. There's no way Iowa wins this game. Jim Harbaugh finally beats Ohio State and turns around and leads for Notre Dame, I call him. Uh, looking out of you. <laughs> no way. You know, I think – this is the best offensive line in college football. I mean, if you watch, especially that run, you know, that run game mm -hmm. uh, against Ohio State, those, those are some big guys. Those are all probably playing the NFL. I think they just dominate the line of scrimmage, and no quarterback play from Iowa. They just don't have right. good quarterback play. So I think Michigan wins by a couple touchdowns. Daniel, I like Michigan big in this one. This game might be over in forty-five minutes, just because. 30. Yeah, this is going to be a very quick football <laughs> game. Uh, that Michigan offensive line was amazing against Ohio State. And I don't see anything from Iowa that's going to change that. All right, final one to talk about, the ACC. Uh, Pittsburgh against Wake Forest, number 15 against number 16. Pitt's favored by three. Uh, Kenny Pickett, friend of the program. Uh, Daniel, who you got in this one? This is a difficult one. This is the most difficult one to pick, in my opinion. This is the one I'm the most in interested game. to watch, if I'm Yeah, I think it'll you. be the best game overall, yeah. I'm going to take Pitt in this game. And I think it's going to be because that – defense is going to cause Sam Hartman a lot of problems throwing the ball down the field. He's got two great receivers. A.T. Perry might be the biggest breakout player in the country, uh, along with Jaquaria Roberson, who was a known quantity. But I think they're going to get after Sam Hartman. He's going to try to throw the ball down the field as they have all season. I think he's going to struggle to do it, and I think Pitt's going to win this game. Can I just mention that I was driving over here listening to Dave Weekly, who works for a competing radio station. He said if Sam Hartman tears up Pitt that he'd put him on his Heisman ballot. Let's leave that in the air. Logan. I would have. I might have put Sam this Hartman on the ballot before. This really? Is this a he's battle? Been great. I know he's been great, but has he really been better than the quarterback he's playing against in that game? No. Or, I mean, obviously. I mean, there's not two spots on a Heisman ballot. No, I, I'm aware. But you've also got an elite edge rusher for Michigan. You also have an you Alabama quarterback. back from Michigan. Michigan State running you, you back. you got Kenneth Walker, too. From Michigan State, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I think Haskins could be in the conversation after the game. Uh, I guess. Re I recently buys is a heck of a thing. Hey, but I understand, but Tony Mathis, hundred yard game against Kansas. <laughs> He's in. All right, I'm sorry. We got to keep it going. I, I apologize to derail, but I thought that was crazy. Obviously, I was wrong. Logan, um, I'm torn on this one. I I think whoever starts the game the strongest is going to win. Honestly, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I I think Wake Forest starts the game off pretty strong. Um, scores a good bit of point, you know, ten ten or more points in the first quarter. I think they win by a touchdown. Tanner, I I. I 
I think Pitt's good, but I think that Wake Forest wants to prove that they weren't just a fluke this year, and I think that Demon Deacon's going to win this game. All right, guys, shed a tear because it's the final coach's hot seat of the season. We have like two minutes, oh, but we're, geez, we we're going to extend it just a little bit. Uh, this is where things get wild because half of the people that were on the list last week are no longer employed, two of which have been fired by coaches Daniels have fired board. Coach O and Justin Fuente, Jeff Scott and Dino Baber somehow remain. I um, might only go two for four, which is a travesty. Shocking. All right, we'll start with... Let's start with Logan. Logan never gets to start. We'll go this way and just keep naming until you can't name one. But please try to keep it brief because we've got an NFL segment coming up. Logan. Uh, Steve Adazio, Colorado State. He's number two. Scott Loeffler, my guy. i got to find him, but I'm sure he is on the list. Lost again. Yeah, there he is, 14. It's anybody in the top 30. We're going all 30. Jeff Scott. Yep, number three. Marcus Arroyo, UNLV. Marcus Arroyo. I'm sure he's on here. Here he is, number 12. Ken Nui Matalolo. I can't say. I've never been able to say. He is on here. Uh, Ken Nui Matalolo. Yeah, I believe is how you say it. It's number 18. Yeah. Scott Frost. Scott Frost is number one. He shouldn't be on there. <laughs> Elite coach. <laughs> this I don't. I might get this one wrong. I'm going to say David Shaw, Stanford. Number five. Ooh. That's what oh. the biggest riser, if I'm correct. Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz. Where are you, Mr. Diaz? Manny, 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 Manny. There he is, number 23. Okay. Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell is on here. I was just looking at him. Where's he at? Mike Norvell is – I was just looking at him. Yeah, there he is, number 22. All right. Carl Dorrell. Yes, of Colorado, number 11. Mike Norvell's Florida State, by the way. Did we say Dino Babers yet? We didn't. All right, I'll take He's Dino. number seven. Okay. Oh, there's probably better th- – oh, uh, Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins, number four of Georgia Tech. Dino Babers of Syracuse, by the way. Now to you, Logan. Hmm. This really gets down to the... Hmm. Hmm. By the way, Wizards have taken the lead after uh, trailing for most of the third quarter. It's a three-point game going into the fourth. It's been an unbelievably well-played game with absolutely no defense. Uh, Logan. Oh, wow. That's a, lo- that's a long shot. I'm going to admit that. I would say Jed Fish, Arizona. Yes, Jed Fish, number nine. Ooh. Did we already say Steve Adazio at Colorado State? Yeah, we did. We okay. did, sorry. He was number two. Yeah. Um, Sark. Yep, he's number six. All right. Not a Daniel. I love that you get to hear me talking because I'm trying to fill the silences, and then it's just people in the background going, hmm. <laughs> mm. It's an ASMR. Jake Spavitol. Surely Jake Spavitol enough. Well, there he is, number 20. Yeah. Shout out to the third and fifteen draw play, Logan. By the way, again, one through thirty most fireable coaches ranked uh, by CoachesHotSeat.com. Several have been removed; they've been fired. So That's we're we got an interesting batch of characters here. O's gone. Justin Fuente is gone, etc. Love the etc. At all. Mm, I don't. Whoa. Uh, Tim Albin from Ohio University. Yeah, he's he's on here. Yeah, he's number 10. Oh. I love that you think these are reaches and they're all single digits. I, re- I respect that. From I respect the Logan game. It's like the girl that says she's going to fail the test and she walks out with a 95. We all went to class with that girl. All right. Uh, Tanner. Eli Drinkwitz. Is Eli on here? Yeah, he should be. I agree. He probably should be. 
but I don't no? see him. Oh, I'm out. Drinkwitz, Drinkwitz. No, sorry. That's sad. All right. I, I would agree with you. That's somebody I thought would have come onto the list. I would have been out. Right. I've got two interesting ones here. The question is, which do I go with? Do you want me to pick for you? Nope. I'm going with Willie Fritz. Tulane. I know Willie Fritz is on here. That was a really good I one. I know Willie Fritz is on here. Where are you, Willie Fritz? There he is, 15 of Tulane. Back to you, Logan. Down to our final two. That was really good. That was really good. <laughs> According to Logan, that was really good. Thanks, Logan. Sources say <laughs> really so, good. Sources tell U92 that was really good. <laughs> Wizards tied it up. Dude, I'm, I'm just loving this game. This one I actually do think is a shot in the dark because he had a good season last Watch year. Watch for this to be terrible. number one. Here we go. Uh, mm, Tom Allen, Indiana. Number 13. I was oh. looking right at him when he said that. So it's back to me? Yes. All right, I have to go with my other one from the two I was thinking about. Butch Jones, Arkansas State. Butch Jones, number eight of Arkansas State. This is elite. I would have given up, personally. What other... Teams are there that's tough. Yeah, there's a lot of schools on here. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we have at this point gotten every. Yeah, we've gotten everybody in the top ten. Uh, one obvious one still remains. Really? Mm-hmm. Obvious one. Oh yeah, you can look at it now. Obvious one obvious one. one. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Logan. I I'm probably gonna miss the obvious one. There's oh. I'm gonna. This is this. Every, Dude, everyone. Keeps this getting one I also think shirt. is one I would have gone with by now. I'm. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go with this one because they are just horrible this year. But I don't know if he can be fired because he's one of their best players. But I'm gonna say Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern. That was the one I was saying was an obvious uh, one. Wasn't okay. no, he's getting mentioned? No, it's one of the obvious one ones. The, the, other one the other one. Is. Yeah, I thought he would, the, might be unfireable. The pride of Danville, Kentucky. Neil Harmon Brown. <laughs> I forgot his middle name is Harmon. Yep. Back to you, Logan. Neil Brown, number twenty-four. Most fireable coach in college football, according to coaches. I guess, be, I guess being Kansas doesn't really get you out of that. Uh, shocking. <laughs> well, I mean, it would have got him out of the top 30, and then 15 coaches got fired. So, I don't know. All right, Logan, pressure's on. We also got to wrap it up because we got an NFL segment coming up. And we've got to, we got to clear the air tonight. We usually get to go over yeah. a little bit. We got Tune the, in for the diners yeah, coming the, up at 10. The diners coming your way at 10 p.m. we got to vacate. Mike Bloomgren from Rice. Uh, yes, he's on here. Help me out, by the way, find these to right, save time. Mike Bloomgren's on here, 16. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is it him? Yes. Okay. This could be bad. Who's in the. No, he's a first year guy. Um, got him. Got him. Got him. How many are him. left? Uh, I'm counting right now 17, uh, 21, 25, right? Yeah. 26, 27, 28. 29 and 30. So a lot of coaches that are just coming in. Right. Oh, no. Okay. He's not new. He's been up here before. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I meant this this yeah. run. Oh, boy. Um, Who's towards the bottom? Oh. Okay. Okay. Mm. This is tough. Logan's got the win. Logan thinks he's got the win, you say. Um. I might lose it on this. I honestly might lose it on this. Wizards up three, eight minutes to go against Minnesota. Congratulations. Um, just trying to just trying to kill. <laughs> just vibing. I'm I'm this is tough. Um It's a it's a valiant effort for each of you guys, so just throw out names. I'm just gonna throw one that Willie Taggart at FAU. Didn't we just look at Atlantic? Yes, it's twenty seven. All right. 
One of the new ones. All right, Logan. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, Justin Wilcox, Cal. 25. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. And we're right we're back, back to where we started. One, we're going to get all 30. This is going to... I'm going to put this out here because he was really high earlier in the year. They won five straight to end the year, but they only finished six and six. Seth Luttrell at North Texas. He can't have gotten out of the top 30. I don't see him. That's ridiculous. That's a win, right? Yeah. Logan That's went first. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll read them off really quickly, and I'll just remind me if it's one we didn't get. Uh, final coaches hot seat. We'll read all 30, and then we'll take a break for the NFL segment. Scott Frost, one. Steve Adazio, number two. Jeff Scott. Jeff Collins. David Shaw. Steve Sarkeesian of Texas. Dino Baber of Syracuse. Butch Jones, Arkansas State. Uh, Jed Fish, Arizona. Tim Albin, Ohio. Carl Durrell of Colorado, Marcus Arroyo of UNLV, Tom Allen of Indiana, Scott Loeffler of Bowling Green, Willie Fritz of Tulane, Mike Bloomgren of Rice. Number 17 is Danny Gonzalez of New Mexico. I do not believe we got that one. No. Ken Nui Matalolo of Navy is 18. Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern is 19. Spavadol, Texas State, he's number 20. Clark Lee of Vanderbilt. Clark Lee's not getting fired at um, Mike Norvell, Manny Diaz, Neil Brown is number 24 of those fighting West Virginia Mountaineers. Justin Wilcox of California. Terry Bowden of... Louisiana Monroe. That's the best season they've had in like 15 years. Uh, hey, take it up with CoachesHotSeat.com. Willie Taggart of Florida Atlantic. Scott Satterfield of Louisville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how to say Maurice Linguist's name Mo of Ling- Buffalo. Mo Linguist. Mo Linguist of Buffalo and Will Hall of Southern Miss. I thought about Will Hall. All right, we'll leave it there. Before, NFL. Before we move on, Triple Option might be coming back to the Power Five. Jeff Munkin is supposedly the top candidate at at, at uh, Duke to replace David Cutcliffe. I love that. And on that note, we'll take a break. NFL segment comes your way next as the sports page rolls on on U92 The Moose. If you want the new and essential college radio, then look no further than the new music pioneer on 91.7. Every Monday through Thursday from 3 to 6 p.m., Tune in to hear the newest music from up-and-coming artists, along with some of our favorite throwback tracks. That's every Monday through Thursday, 3 to 6 p.m. The New Music Pioneer on U92 FM. Year 2 of Mountaineer Soccer under Dan Stratford can be heard all season long on U92. Tune in 30 minutes before every home game and select road games as we bring you comprehensive coverage of the Mountaineers on the pitch. U92 is also the only place for talk sports radio dedicated specifically for men's and women's soccer. Find the kickabout with host Liam Bellin every Wednesday night from 7 to 8. 91.7 FM presents Mountaineer Soccer Live, a service of U92 Sports. You don't have to be in your car to listen to U92. You can listen online anytime by going to www.u92themoose.com and clicking Listen Now. The Moose is also on TuneIn, Radio FX, and the Alexa app. Tune in anywhere, anytime, U92. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song, he sweeps along. Welcome back into the sports page. I was very happy that the Raiders did not finish their season by getting embarrassed by the Cowboys on a Thursday Night Football. We are still alive. Derek Carr, that guy, D.C., Fresno State, stand up, is leading the NFL in passing yards. 
Suck on that. <laughs> Suck it's on Tom that. Tom Brady's is competition. All righty, here we go, gentlemen. David's here, Manny's here, Luke's here. Uh, Luke, I'll begin with you. We'll stick the knife right in there because the Patriots, they look pretty darn good. Are the Patriots back? I think so. I, I think so. It, I I will say it is a tough call because literally the Titans' like entire offense and roster is on IR right now. But the Patriots are looking good, even aside from that game. Um, one thing that did surprise me about that game is this Patriots defense that is supposed to be that is supposed to have like the best front seven in the league. Let Dante Foreman and Dontrell Hilliard rush for like a hundred each, mm-hmm. which was kind of odd. I did not expect that at all. But still, combined like three fumbles between the two of them anyway but one thing that i'm waiting to see is i'm not sure that they're super bowl favorites yet of course they're the one seed but you know still good bit of the season left uh can mac jones step up in the big moments and we saw the he he played well in the pats buccaneers game but expectations weren't really high there anyways now they're getting the talk now they're getting in there so come playoff time, once they're in those big games, I'm intrigued to see how Mac Jones is going to respond and how he's going to play. Because several people have stated he's playing like a veteran right now, and that's very true. He's making good decisions. Eighty percent, I think it was eighty-five percent of his balls are catchable, catchable passes, which is an insane number for a rookie. So yeah, I would say the Pats are good again. Well, you look at the last couple of games for Mac Jones. Uh, six touchdowns, one interception over the last three. Uh, completion percentages of 82, 84, and 71. Um, and throwing over 200 yards in all of those games, save one. Uh, David, I'll go to you next. Same conversation. Uh, I like the depth that the Patriots have at skill position players. Um, is it enough? Damian Harris is fine. Ramondre Stevenson's fine. I'm not a huge fan of their receiving core, but you throw in catchable balls, like you said, with Mac Jones, and you've got depth. Yeah, they have a variety of receivers or a variety of running backs. I don't, again, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think their receivers are are really good at all outside of like I think Kendrick Bourne's their leading receiver uh right now and he's he's pretty solid but their defense is holding up and they're uh they're allowing Mac Jones to uh develop in the passer that uh that Bill Belichick wants. Uh, I do see a lot of stuff. I hear okay, everyone's saying Tom it's next Tom Brady. Okay, it's probably not that time yet obviously, <laughs> yeah. but like you see his rookie season and it very much uh, aligns with Mac Jones's rookie season uh, that's going on right now. He like very similar record, but uh, also the defense is holding up and letting him uh, develop and ease into uh, ease into the game uh, as he uh, as he uh, goes into the AFC and uh, climbs up the up the ranking ladder, I guess. And it becomes a really interesting end of the season, obviously, now, Manny, for these Patriots because they've got Buffalo twice in the next two weeks. The Colts are playing good football with Jonathan Taylor on the ground. Got an easy game against Jacksonville, and then you've got out of nowhere the Red Hot Dolphins, who we all thought was (laughs) going to be a good team, were terrible, and now have won however many games in a row it is. So, obviously, we're going to know exactly what this Patriots team is made of having to play Buffalo twice down the stretch. No, yeah, for sure. And I think I, I... Cannot speak for everybody here. I think we kind of expected the Dolphins to be what the Patriots are now. At least I did, I did. for sure. But we got the complete opposite of that. And again, the they got the Bills twice, and then the Colts. I think the toughest matchup for me, I think, would be the Colts just because of the way that they are they're playing right now and the way that they line up against the Patriots. Almost the same way they uh, they play offense. Both like to run the ball and really limit their quarterbacks to not kind of win the game most often than not. So I think. 
this matchup against the Bills, their first time, will be very important just because I think the Bills were the favorites going in. Were definitely the favorites going into this year to take that division easily, and now they're letting a rookie QB kind of take, kind of have the hot hand now and take over this uh, this division as of just now. So we'll see how they match up again. Again, it'll be hard with the Bills' um, defense losing Tre'Davious White, and we'll see how that plays out. But I think a big key for this game will be if they can limit the run. And if, they, if that pass rush can't get to Mac Jones, we'll really see, like um, like Luke was saying before, if he can win a game with uh, with his arm. Breaking news in the world of college football as it appears Notre Dame has picked uh, their next head coach. It's Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator. Um, and I understand. Let's go ahead and bring Daniel Woods into the conversation really quickly, Daniel. I understand this was kind of the, the player's pick, if you will. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Marcus Freeman really emerged as the top option according to the players, according to recruits, uh, coming out of the the news that Brian Kelly would be leaving. He's first-year D.C. there, came over from Cincinnati where he was with Luke Fickle, who a lot of people consider to be the favorite for this job. Uh, they do go internal. A.D. Jack Swarbrick uh, was said to have wanted to keep some continuity with the program, particularly with a potential college football playoff appearance coming in a couple of weeks. And this is a quote. Uh, pulled from a source by Richard Johnson from uh, Sports Illustrated, quote, the recruit exodus if they lost Freeman would be a nightmare. And there was talk that Marcus Freeman was going to follow Brian Kelly to LSU if he didn't get the head coaching job at Notre Dame. He is now going to be the next head coach of the Fighting Irish. First-time head coach, which, as a lot of people have noted this week, has not often worked out at Notre Dame, Mm. but it is a much more stable program when guys like that were taking it over. All right, there you go. Marcus Freeman hired. Uh, Manny, back to you for the next Topic of conversation. We're going to talk a little NFL draft here, which is always a, a favorite of mine. A little bit later on in the segment, I want to talk about Seattle. Uh, I'm not usually one to push the panic button. A lot of things did not bounce their way this year, but the Seahawks are three and eight, and that's not good. Uh, I understand Russell Wilson missed significant time, but you look at the state of the division. You know the Rams are loaded. Uh, obviously, Matt Stafford's going to be there for the short term. Um, but you also got a San Francisco team that think that they may have drafted their franchise quarterback in Trey Lance, but nonetheless, they've got a great roster built around them, and then you've got Kyler Murray just getting started in Arizona. For the sake of not wanting to get passed by in the division, I asked the question. Russell Wilson can't feel that he's holding a football right now, so I understand it's not (laughs) that fair. But you've got him, uh, uh, and you've got, why can't I not remember... uh, uh, Pete Carroll's name. Pete Carroll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is there an op- a chance that neither of them or one of the two of them are not on that Seattle sideline next year? I, for, I think for sure one of them will definitely be gone. And it wouldn't surprise me if both of them were gone. And I think that would probably be the worst case scenario, I think, for them if both of them were to leave. And talk about completely rebuilding. If you have to find a new head coach and a, a gem that Russell Wilson was, a generational kind of quarterback that kind of will, up to this point, really won them their games and ever since he got there, I think that has been the game plan or the kind of just the build that this Seahawks team has had. That just you always hear like the term say "let Russ cook," and it it worked. <laughs> un- it worked until a certain point until defenses kind of built, know how to defend against it. And I think in a way, you saw Russell Wilson kind of like know is known to play like that and kind of just tries to play curable. I think a little bit too much. Like I think he did it a couple of times against uh, Washington this past week where he just held the ball for too long and he's getting to tough situations where he's making ill-advised throws. And we saw it on that last play where he just held the ball too long and threw it right into the hands of that defender in the on the two-point conversion. So 
again, for the Seahawks team, I think th- there's just not really one place where they're like solid at. Their offense is mid is mid tier, and their defense is bottom bottom two or just last in in total yards and yards allowed per game, like five allowing nearly five hundred yards per game, which is just awful. So, I think I think the best case scenario would be for Pete Carroll to go if one of them had to go, just because I think. You have Russell Wilson, and you don't have to find this kind of generational kind of quarterback that a lot of teams, once they lose it, like the Texans, um, is a great example. They, they're they just struggling at right, joke um, at this point. David, is Russell Wilson going to be a Seahawk next year? Uh, I think both Russ Wilson and uh, Pete Carroll are going to be a Seahawk. I think, uh, as Manny said, uh, Russell Wilson is a generational talent. You're not going to let... You're not going to let Geno cook, whatever. <laughs> Although uh, us as WVU fans would like that, um, that that's just not going to happen. I think Rush is a is the guy. He's proven he's the guy, and Pete Carroll has proven he's the head coach. He's gone to Super Bowls, and uh, you know by looking at the talent they have on defense, and uh, that the defense just isn't there. It's clearly not there. Uh, it's it's not at a uh, a high. Uh, it's not as as good as it was when they were uh, trying to get Super Bowls. So right now is a good time to rebuild for them uh, as far as the defense goes. They have they have some offensive pieces, but I think it's a retool slash rebuild uh, time for them. But I think keeping those uh, those faces of the franchise or the face of the franchise in in Russell Wilson is is good for them, good for their offense, so they don't completely lose ticket sales. And uh, obviously, Pete Carroll is is. I mean, he's a guy, so he's proven himself. And I'll give you this. You're looking at a bad defense, but uh, you're looking at a team that's also going to pick in the top ten. And Wait, no. Is this the pick that's going to the Jets, right? Yeah. So they don't have a first-round pick. I was all lined up to say that you bring in Aiden Hutchinson and you're fine. You don't have your first-round pick. I mean, that's what what I'm thinking with this whole situation, too. I think they let Pete Carroll go, and I think Russell Wilson probably should take it upon himself to go somewhere else. Mm. Russell Wilson doesn't have the longevity left in his career at this point. I think we can all agree he's more on the back end of his career. I don't think he really has the time to sit around and wait wait for a rebuild. The Seahawks front office really hasn't made good decisions when it comes to managing the team. The last big defensive free agent signing was... Carlos Dunlap mm-hmm. and that's the la- that's like the last one in recent memory that I can think of so they really haven't made any big draft moves they haven't made any big free agent signings to try to help out this defense which hasn't been tip- particularly good since the Legion of Boom fell apart and the offense you know the offense does its thing you know they'll have some big plays DK Metcalf Tyler Lockett whatever but the defense is nowhere good enough and I think it's just best for Russell Wilson if he goes somewhere else. And honestly, I do think it's best for the Seahawks if they depart with Pete Carroll. Also, do you think if one goes, the other might go? Is that like I would a, see I a world so. where if Pete Carroll gets fired, Russell Wilson says, I want to go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. But if like. Russell if, Wilson and Aaron Rodgers trade places, who says no? <laughs> uh, I say no. <laughs> if, if Russell Wilson good. leaves, I think, I think Pete Carroll's going to want to stay no matter what. So I don't think Pete Carroll's going to be the one to take it upon himself to be like, you know what, Russell Wilson's out of here. I'm gone, but I think if Pete Carroll does end up going, I think Russell. I think Seattle, by the way, uh, they have themselves a a nifty little path to a rebuild with the pieces that they have. If they wanted to trade away Russ, they wanted to trade away Lockett, don't necessarily have to move off of uh, uh, Metcalf. Uh, That could be a quick turnaround if it's handled the right way. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying if it happens. Uh, Same question, guys, really quickly, because I want to talk a little bit of the NFL draft. Going to play a little NFL draft over under on this segment. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask the same question about Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger. Now, 
everybody is now screaming at their car radios by saying it's pretty <laughs> obvious that Ben Roethlisberger is not going to be the Steelers quarterback next year. I think we're all there. But is this season, you just got embarrassed on Sunday by the Bengals. Like, it's not, it's not the fact that you lost that game. It's the fact that you got, you got two-pieced in that. You just got destroyed in that game. Uh, if they finish last in the division, I love Mike Tomlin. People that have sat in this chair before me, shout out Nick Severini, hate Mike Tomlin. I don't know why. Is it enough to remove him from the Berg? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. No, I think. I mean, no, 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 not in not in the AFC North where you have the Bengals, the Ravens, and the and even the Browns have a chance at like making the playoffs. So that division is definitely one the toughest, if not one of the toughest in the whole NFL. And I think it'll. And if he does come last, it'll probably be his first losing season. And he's coached like 14, 15 seasons now, and it'll be his first one. That's that's just ridiculous. Where you have other coaches that keep their jobs and they've had like multiple losing seasons in a row and they still are employed. So I don't think you could get rid of Mike Tomlin just that easily just because of the teams that you're going up against. And they've all in- improved greatly over the past couple of years. Credit to them. But I think the, the Steelers are just in a position now where the Bengals were uh, not as bad, obviously, but where they have to find this new quarterback and kind of build around him now. Even though they have the pieces on offense, it's just you're missing that quarterback that can really just dictate the pace of the game and just win you games where Ben has proven now that he's way past that and they have to look forward now kind of, if not through free agents or trading for a guy like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, they're going to have to find somebody in the middle part of the draft to um, to kind of lead them going forward. By the way, I was prepared to come in, uh, you guys, and tell you that if my Raiders had lost on Thursday Night Football, that Derek Carr was going to be the quarterback of the Steelers next year. Uh, that would be crazy. That would be absolutely <laughs> wild. They're, right. they're, it seems like they're trying out quarterbacks, too. Like, they had Dwayne Haskins, they had Mason Rudolph, they have, like, Josh Duck Duck Hodges? Doc Hodges. I thought he's gone now. I think oh, he yeah, he's like, on the, he's, dead. he's like on the Chargers or something. <laughs> yeah, he's no. he's yeah, in Uzbekistan right ben now ben playing in the dirt. Arena Football League. Big Ben is old as dirt. He's gone. But. All right, guys, let's wrap up this segment with a little NFL draft over under. For those of you unaware, you fresh-faced, greened rookies, the NFL draft is the pinnacle of broadcasting here in U92. The NFL draft has been a staple of our broadcasts over the last several years, and hopefully in the spring you fine gentlemen will get to be a part of what it is that we do. And I wanted to talk a little bit of NFL draft, kind of a kind of a meh week in the NFL. And I'd, I'd, rather than us just recapping and previewing games, I wanted to throw a little bit of a changeup in. So we're going to ask you guys a couple of over-under questions uh, and a couple of general questions about the draft as well. Luke, we'll begin with you with our first over-under question. Pick four and a half over-under, the first quarterback coming off the board in this year's NFL draft. I'm saying over. Mm. I, I think that there's... There's some crazy good edge talent there that I don't think teams can pass up on. It's like when Miles Garrett went to the Browns. You know, it's like defensive end might might not have been their biggest need at that time, but Miles Garrett was just so freakishly good that you have to take him. And I think that's the position that the Lions are going to be put in. I think they'll try to survive another year with Jared Goff. God bless their souls. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this this uh, draft seems pretty short on QB talent. You know, like, every year there's, like, one big prospect. And, I mean, the closest thing we have is probably Matt Coral. But, you know, there's no, like, Jam- like I remember the Jameis Winston-Marcus Mariota debate. You know, there's no, like, there's no Baker Mayfields in this draft either. There's no Trevor Lawrences. But there's some crazy good edge talent. And two of the top four teams took a quarterback last year with the Jags and the Jets. And I honestly think, I don't think Terrell Taylor is a bad pick there for the Texans 
Like he plays well, he goes out there and he does his job. I think they should they can insert some pieces around him and eventually move on later. But I think Terod Taylor is good enough to get the Texans by for now. Yeah, I would I would also say uh, over over four and a half, maybe the four and a half pick. But um, yeah, again, there's not there's not a lot of it seems like there's just a lot of middle class uh, quarterback talent, and there's just so many so many great defensive players that it's just tough to see. Uh, j- tough to see the bad teams uh, packing themselves around or building themselves back up around some of these sort of average-looking quarterbacks. Although, you know, they play for good teams now. It's yeah, it's not it's not for sure build a rebuild tool that they have. All right, there you go, Manny. No, yeah, it's a, it's the same story. I think it's just the team, just the teams you have picking in the first five. It's the Jets twice, the Jaguars, the Lions, and the Texans all. Are all the Jaguars have a quarterback? The Jets just picked one, also, and the Texans, like Luke said, aren't in a bad spot with Tyrod Taylor to uh, gamble on another guy to just come in and kind of p- take him to a uh, to a new level. So I think the defensive talent right now in the draft, uh, at least for the in the top ten, will be overwhelmingly good for most teams to go defense um, in the top ten. You guys mean to say that when the Detroit Lions trade the first overall pick for Deshaun Watson and they have one and two, that one of those two people is not going to be a quarterback? Craziness. All right, uh, Manny, we'll start with you. Over, under, one and a half edge rushers taken within the first three picks of the NFL draft. Ooh, I'm going to say... Ooh, that's tough. I'm going to say... I'm going to say under. Mm. Under just because, again, like you said, we have... The Lions, and I think the Lions definitely will have to take probably Aiden Hutchinson at this point. Is uh, it's kind of written there, and then you have the Texans, who again they have a quarterback there, and you could go probably defense, which you could look at a guy like um, Kayvon Thibodeau, which would be a nice pick. But then after that, you have the Jags, who again could I think in my opinion should look to rebuild, not rebuild, but just buffer up that offensive line that at this point has just had that has Trevor Lawrence just running for his life and improvising back there to find anything. And most of the time is why he looks so poor, in my opinion, because he has no time and barely any weapons to throw to. So they should go offensive line, no doubt. And then you have the Jets, again, who should go offensive line, but will probably end up going defense and get somebody like, probably like Kyle Hamilton or something like that. If not, again, go for offensive line to protect Zach Wilson, who has already missed a lengthy amount of time. So I'll probably say under... For that reason. Yeah, I think Jacksonville's kind of pigeonholed themselves into a position where they need to take a tackle. They're looking for that cat out yeah. of NC State. But David, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, well, I think Detroit is kind of in a take the best player available. So I think they're obviously going to, uh, they're they're probably going to take Thibodeau out of, or Thibodeau or however you say it, out of uh, Oregon. Uh, I think between Jacksonville and Houston, one of them is probably going to take it. So I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the over. Um one of them's one of them's got to take a defensive player. Just the quality of talent um, uh, available is there uh, available. Um, I think, or if they or if they trade, uh, if they trade down, I think another player, uh, mm-hmm. another team would like to trade up and get some talent like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think uh, two, uh, a two edge rushers would probably be in the first three. Luke, to you, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I'm going over. I mean, I just think. The Jags need so many things, too. Like, they're not on the same level as the Lions, but they're not <laughs> crazy far off. You know, I think that, I think that once again, you know, there's so much edge talent here. Do you want to pass up on it? You know, 
Like, I always think back to the Saxonville days, you know, well, the one season <laughs> where it was like Calais Campbell, Dante Fowler, and uh, Miles Jack who were in there just wreaking havoc. Against the Titans. <laughs> Didn't ask you, David. But, yeah, so... Oh, man, through, you, got me, you got me having flashbacks, David. But, yeah, I, I think that overall, and, I mean, they could use defensive backs, too. But, overall, I think that they're going to kind of, because we got to be honest here, Urban Meyer hasn't made the best draft choices either. So, I'm not saying it's the best choice, but I think it's what they're going to do. You know? Yeah, I you're right. Asking Urban Meyer to make the right choice in life. Yeah, like they took, they took Etienne when they already had... Uh, uh, Robinson, Robinson. 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 Yeah. That was questionable. That, that's the way, when they could have gotten their tackle to, so, pr- yeah. to protect Joe Burrow. I'll go over on this one as well. By the way, I wanted to go under on that quarterback one. There will be a quarterback going within the first four picks. Uh, so If it means a team trading up, they will. All right, guys, really quickly, last over-under question. Uh, same pick, four and a half. Over-under Kyle Hamilton coming off the board at pick four and a half. And bear in mind that there's just been one safety taken in the first five picks of the NFL draft since 1992. That was Sean Taylor. Luke, I'll begin with you. Can you repeat that question? I'm sorry. Kyle that, that's Hamilton. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton within the first four and a half, four and a half over safety. under that pick. The safety uh, from Notre Dame. Yeah. I could see the Jags taking him. Mm. I, I could see the Jags taking him, so I'll go under. Uh, I think that's a realistic choice there. Six foot four, uh, 220 pounds is Kyle Hamilton. I'm excited. He was a player that I loved at the beginning of the year, those mock drafts of the Raiders <laughs> late in the, you know, in the teens, uh, and he's just skyrocketed up boards. Yeah, yeah, there's got to be a lot of teams in the in the first five that would that would need him. Uh, obviously, there's there's um, the desire for those edge rushers, but I guess size and skill clearly. I think within the first five, he's got to he's got to go within the first five. Somebody's somebody's going to need some secondary. I think even the Lions actually like if they don't choose an edge rusher, they've been really thin in the secondary. So they they could pick him one, but I mean, obviously there's. There's uh, edge rushing talent. Lions go in secondary in back-to-back years. I, I would oh like God. that actually. As a big fan of secondary <laughs> football, Manny, you get the final word. I'm probably just. I'm probably gonna say, on, yeah, under. No, no, no. Over, over, <laughs> over, over. Definitely over. Just because again, I think the Jaguars again they could take them. They need a plethora of positions. They could really use anything at this point. But I think, I think they just got to go offensive tackle, just or something on the offensive line, just to help. Their their guy their main piece on the offense Trevor Lawrence to just kind of get some production some real um real performance out of him to really show what he's really he's capable of and I think somebody like the Giants would probably somebody like the Giants would probably take him just to buffer up that defense even more which isn't awful at this point but if they got somebody like Kyle Hamilton who kind of is similar to Isaiah Simmons in a way um similar builds and can play like all over the place. I think he can make a great impact for that Giants defense and kind of just solidify them in in a division where you have where there's no real top defense in that division. The best we we had was probably the football team last year, but now they're they're com- they're completely a show of themselves now. And the Cowboys have the pieces there, but again, they're just not performing at what people expect them to. So I think if the Giants can do that and get something in the second in like the later rounds to help their offense, I think they'll be a very good contender in the in the years going forward. 
All right, there you go, man. He gets the final word for this edition of the NFL segment. As an aside, this mock draft that I'm looking at from CBS Sports has the Raiders at pick 18 going with Jordan Davis. Oh, my goodness, I would love that pick. Jordan Oof. Davis might be my favorite player in the draft. He's an absolute beast. As Daniel He's said crazy. it's like watching two players play. All right, I like that quote. I'm going to use that on my draft <laughs> coverage. All right, guys, thank you for joining. Go, Pat, go. All right, there you go. Uh, one more break to take, one more segment to get through. It's the NBA, and it comes your way next here on U92 The Moose. Ever wanted to get into college radio or just get your voice out there? The Moose is always hiring volunteers. All are welcome. Just visit u92themoose.com and at the menu, click Staff and Contact or join U92 The Moose. We hope to see you. U92 The Moose is your home for the best sports coverage you're going to find here on the campus of West Virginia University. It all starts on Wednesdays from 6 to 10. It's the Sports Block on U92. From 6 to 8, we're talking WVU sports with a tilt towards on-campus coverage. From 8 to 10, it's the Sports Page taking a look at all the national stories you want to hear the U92 sports staff talk about. Then, at the bottom of every hour, tune in for breaking news on all of the top stories in sports by members of the U92 staff. And finally, live sports on U92 The Moose are the bread and butter. Tune in for coverage of both WVU soccer teams, women's basketball, baseball, and WVU hockey. Live on U92, 91.7 FM, and U92TheMoose.com. You're not going to want to miss any of the sports here on U92. Pick up a copy of the Daily Athenaeum every Thursday morning from a newsstand on campus. The Daily Athenaeum is WVU's independent, student-run newspaper, reporting on what matters to you, reporting by students, for students. Pick up a copy today and read more at thedaonline.com. Final segment of the sports page. Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods, Dan Schuster. Has anybody told you that you look like Grayson Allen? Never. Is that just me, Daniel? No, that's, un that's unfortunate news, too. I know. Honestly. I'm sorry to drop that I one on you. I don't totally maybe since see the, it. Maybe since the haircut, honestly. He's I got the that. haircut. You've, you've yeah. got the Grayson Allen hair. Yeah. That, I don't know. I, I'm seeing it. I'm bad Do with I faces. Do I get off a Grayson Allen? No, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I, I, I would never, never say that about a fellow U92 staffer. <laughs> Uh, except maybe Jimmy. No. Um, so, final segment, and we're crunched for time. For those of you that are listening to this live and not the podcast, I invite you to continue listening to The Diner. It comes your way live in like 25 minutes. Uh, but we've got 20 minutes to talk about the NBA. By the way, uh, the Wiggs Woods Bowl was won by the Washington Wizards. Um, I, listen, we're still the four seed. I, that's, all I, that's all I got to say after some of our previous discussions. Um I want to take a look at NBA rookies because we spent a lot of time talking about the NBA draft last year, and I fall victim to when we really get in depth, Daniel, in these drafts for basketball and and, and college or uh, the NFL as well. 
just no longer following the prospects after they get assigned to teams and they're only playing 15, 18 minutes a night. So I want to talk about some of the big names and then we'll look at some of the under radar prospects as the, uh, the show goes on. So we're going to have kind of a, not exactly a redraft, uh, but each of us are going to give our rest of season draft to how you would have a rookie on your team for the rest of the season. Obviously, if we redrafted the NBA draft today, um, it would look very similar to how it was the last couple of months. But in terms of rest of season rookie rankings, um, I'll go ahead and start with Daniel uh, to give us the number one player on his list. I don't think it's going to be anybody too crazy. I think we'll get into some interesting debates as we get to three, four, or five. The easy pick for me is Scotty Barnes, and his production has dropped off recently with uh, Pascal Siakam coming back into the lineup, uh, but he's still productive in a number of ways. With Siakam coming back in the lineup, his shots have gone down, but his assist numbers have gone up considerably, so he's playing more of a role like he did at Florida State, where he's really one of the primary creators. He's just not scoring the ball a whole lot. So I think Scotty Barnes, if I'm putting one rookie on my team for the rest of the season, is a pretty clear number one to me. Mm, interesting. Scotty Barnes leading all rookies in scoring right now at 15.5 per game. Dan, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, would, I feel like uh, Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley are almost interchangeable at that one and two spot if we're going to go through five of them. Uh, Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes have just been pushed into the gutter, basically, of two teams that have, haven't been the greatest the past two years. and. They've been making their teams look pretty decent for uh, they're averaging both 35 minutes a game, just about. And Evan Mobley has just been an absolute monster when it comes to defense. And I feel like he's really going to blossom coming up in a few years. And he's a good look for Cleveland. And I think that, yeah, like I said, Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley, they're, they're my uh, top two. But I had Mobley going one. And uh, Barnes, too. See, it's interesting because I would still stick with Kate Cunningham. I understand he got off to such a terrible start, excuse me, shooting the ball. Uh, but he's fourth among rookies in assists. He's fourth among rookies in scoring. I have his rebounds in front of him. He's averaging over six rebounds per game, so I'm sure he's top five in that category as well. He's starting to find his rhythm from three. Obviously, that's an obvious thing for me to say. Uh, I'd still go with Cunningham number one. Um, and I think, though, Daniel and I would agree on who picked number two is, Daniel. You're number two. I'm sorry, are we not snake drafting this? No, we're not. Dra- no, we're not. We're just giving our oh. own top fives. I would go with Evan Mobley for yeah. my number two. That's that's pretty clear to me, uh, just with the production he's put together so far. Uh, the inefficiency gives me a little bit of pause with Cade Cunningham. Mobley has shown the ability to guard on the perimeter. He's shown the ability to bang inside, even though he's still pretty slight of frame at this point. So I, I really like what he's been able to put together so far. Yeah, and uh, to echo Dan's sentiments about Mobley, by the way, and I knew that he could shoot the ball. Don't get me I wrong. I honestly did not think he would ever start off to the like, rookie season like this. I was going to uh, agree with that. I mean, I understand he's only shooting, what, 31% from distance, but he's attempting two a game, which is shocking to me. And and, and Daniel, our resident big man, it's a good-looking shot, I think, for a fun. Oh, yeah, it's it's clean. It's, it's, it's not. It's a high release. It's not herky-jerky. It's a fluid motion. So that's always your pause in this day and age of the NBA when you want to draft a big that early that's not versed, that can't play the four or the five, that's not unbelievable in his ability to get up and down the floor. He can shoot. He, he's a good screener. Uh, I don't really think, and I think we would all agree on this, and they didn't draft for fit. They drafted the best player available. That Cavs roster is not conducive to him playing well. A lot of Laurie Markkinen minutes at the three. Yeah, Laurie Markkinen uh, playing alongside Jared Allen is not going to be the best way to develop an NBA, especially the Jared Allen contract now in hindsight, to go on a little bit of a Cleveland tangent, 
Because it's such a big enough contract that I don't think you can trade him. I don't know. You can't. So, no. And you can't. I really don't. Why th- trade him? I don't point. think that you could see a world where you can be a contender and say that those two can start together. Mm. And then you've got Jared Mobley, Allen. Mobley is not at his best at the four, I think, long term. But he has the ability to play the four. And if you want to build a team around him, the small forward you pair with that is certainly not Laurie Markin. Absolutely not. And I don't know if the Sexland small forward, the is small enough forward, to... The small forward you pair with him is the ideal version of Isaac Okoro, who's just not developed. Yeah, well, yeah. Isaiah Okoro that shoots 40% from three, right. which is never going to happen. There's uh, Obviously, you can't fault Cleveland for drafting BPA, but, man, that roster is just abhorrent. It is not good and not well-constructed. All right, so it's Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley for you guys, one through two, in whatever order. I was going to go with Cade. I still will at one, and then Mobley at two. So then we'll go a little bit deeper now uh, into the tracks now with Daniels number three. Cade Cunningham's three for me. You, you can't deny the ability you can't deny the talent uh, i think just the rough start that he got off to wasn't great he put together a triple double against the lakers 13 points 12 rebounds 10 assists and he he's just shown a consistent ability to do everything that you expected of him coming out of the draft uh he's distributing really well almost five assists per game and he's he's turned it on recently and he kept isaiah stewart from killing anybody in that whole brouhaha with yeah i wish we had more time to talk about that I didn't. Uh, do we have any thoughts that we want to share on that scuffle? Because I think LeBron handled the whole thing horribly. I, yeah, I think he. I think he honestly initiated it. And, I do too. And then it, it just turned. I feel he didn't want to do that to his face. Obviously, it just ended up turning into this whole. I'm a man. This is a man's game. You can't touch me. This and that. And then Cunningham surprised to see him get in there and I was try happy to see stop him. Yeah, because there I really are, there are fewer physically impressive humans on planet earth than isaiah stewart yeah we won isaiah he was a, a darling if i'm correct of the u92 draft show just i was not a, a fan abs- oh really no, i was not a fan i was a fan i'm pretty sure nick was too although he was also a fan of freaking um killian hayes killian hayes overall. killian hayes was the first pick of the draft what's killian hayes's numbers nick they're not good they aren't um you're number three by the way dan uh i had i had uh k cunningham going three and then um following that for uh jalen green just because I feel like he he's put uh, the Rockets in a lot of good spots. I mean, Cade and uh, Jalen kind of play a very similar way. They they get they're asked to shoot the ball a lot on their teams, and I feel like the numbers that they put up aren't too bad for what they've been asked to do. So, uh, Jalen Green takes away with my number four. I just want to say this, um, and I know it's too early to say, and you guys can yell at me if you want. If we're redrafting the NBA draft today. I don't think I'm taking Jalen Green. I would struggle to take him with a single-digit pick. I'm not a fan. I, I, I would struggle to tell you that that is a smart decision. Really? Yeah. I'm not a fan of the inefficiency. He's a top-five talent. At worst. I feel like out of this past draft class, like there's not many like Jalen Green. Maybe, let me reiterate and say that I wouldn't. The, the let, me reiterate, let me redo that 14. and say I would not take him in the top seven. Top eight, even that—that's where I'll put the outside of the. I can see that. I love Scotty Barnes. Yeah, I love Kate Cunningham. I love Evan Mobley. I love Jay. I I didn't like Jalen Suggs in the draft, but I like him now. I would. I don't know about Davion Mitchell. I love Josh Giddy, but that's a biased thing, and he's also not an efficient player either. Wagner. I just. I. I. I I don't get it. I didn't get it 
I, I, I said he was an inefficient player when the draft happened, but I was willing to say that he was going to be a top five overall player. Daniel, I'll give you the opportunity to defend him because I just I don't think he's efficient. Uh, what the Rockets are doing with John Wall is stupid because I'd like to see the two of them play on the floor at the same time so he can help facilitate him a little bit more. I just I don't love him as a player based on what he was built up to be when he can't play defense and he's not an efficient shooter. Early on, I get it. Well, ideally, a guy that's that much of a creator for himself wouldn't be taking that many shots in this situation, but you're the Rockets, and you've completely sold the entire farm. He's not my number four, if if we're being completely frank. Josh Giddy is my number four, mm, which, which is who I'll talk about here. Uh, his his numbers aren't great. He's he's pulling the team efficiency down. Where they're already a horribly inefficient team, so it doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, but the vision he's shown, the creativity that you're he's talking shown, about, Giddy, talking about Giddy is is second level compared to a lot of what we've seen from rookie perimeter players. Uh, Barnes does it in a different way, uh, but those guys are, are honestly on the same wavelength, I think, uh, when it comes to their creativity and playmaking. And I, I think the more Giddy continues to develop, the more he continues to get these opportunities with the Thunder, and the more he grows into an NBA body, he's got a chance to be really special. Let me ask you this, by the way. By the way, top ten and nickname that I hope catches on in the NBA. NBA Chalamet? No. Uh, the Oz with the sauce. I think that's hysterical. I, I right. hope that sticks. Um, Josh Giddy and SGA, I don't see them long-term together. Really? I, I mean, I think... I, I don't know. I, I would ask your thoughts, because I don't think either of them... SGA last year... Uh, shot, I think, 42 43% from three. That's not going to continue. He's going to shoot th- in the high 30s. I don't think Giddy's ever going to be a great shooter. I don't think Giddy is a good enough ball handler to be a full-time one, which he isn't right now. He's a pass-first type yeah, player. Yeah, he's a pass-first guy. He's a good off-ball player. I don't see a world where one of those guys, well, those two guys can start together and that team is successful. One of them's going to have to come off the bench. And I just don't know if, I mean, that's not something you have to worry about for another three or four years, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess if you want to make your case, I love them both. Don't get me wrong. Josh Giddey's my favorite rookie. I wish I was Josh Giddey, but I, I just don't see I it think fitting. If you, I think if you put uh, a two guard in there that can consistently, I, I mean, there's you need spot-up guys around that. You need, you, need, you need a two-guard that can defend. You need a defensive-minded two that can knock down. You need Lugans Dort, who shoots 40% from three. It's, he, which I w- is, which I really that's Clay Thompson. Well. But, the Dortcher chamber. That's, uh, but that's, that's Clay Thompson, basically. But you need a 3-and-D two-guard in that situation, and you need rim protection. I was about to say, because you've got all this guy. draft capital, and I, I, I love their pick so far. You you toss a couple of picks in the direction of a Miles Turner or a Christian Wood, who's not a very good defensive or player. Or you draft Chad Holmgren. Oh. Not on the same team with our boy Pokusevsky. <laughs> that would be that would be a great looking Thunder team with Chet on that team. You think so? Oh my god. Oh, you just said no. yourself that Chet got bullied. Yeah, I, I did. Be, I have some serious doubts about Chet Holmgren being a top three player in this NBA draft if he continues to like not players. be able to put on weight. I don't like players like Chet, to be honest. I, somebody's got to be the breakthrough guy. And I thought it was bold. He gets he gets to the NBA. He's like he's I thought the, he's somebody needs to be the first player of that physical build to break in, mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to be Bull Bull, and Bull Bull has done nothing. You know what I mean? That really lengthy, not incredibly fast. Weighs six pounds, can shoot threes. Always going to be hype around them. He could be like, the first. Don't get me wrong. Not, but if it's not Chet, it's going to be Victor Wembanyama next year. Just Wembanyama is significantly more athletic, is he not? I'll give you that. Who's the Who's the five on Purdue? 
Oh, Zach Eady. Uh, yeah. Zach Eady can't play He's 20 minutes a Ming. game. He's an ex-Yao his, Ming. His conditioning isn't there. <laughs> Zach Eady's got at least another but year. But I, I guess going back to that point, if you're not – yeah, Presti's a GM. Uh, you send a couple of picks in the direction of a Christian Wood and uh, or a Miles Turner. I that's think that's, a, that, 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 that's the kind of player – that establishes. By the way, another player I love on this Thunder team that's been just an absolute disappointment is Darius Baisley. I really thought he was going to be a good player. He just can't. Speaking of inefficiency, now you've got young guys, you're not winning games, let him jack up shots, see what happens. But at some point, you're going to have to come up with an answer. He's your four, he's my four. Is he Dan Schuster's four? Uh, no. No. <laughs> Who is? Not. Wait, Franz. I thought Jalen Green was your four. Jalen, yeah, Jalen's my fourth. But, okay, uh, well, give us your five then. Uh, Franz Wagner. I love what every time I turn on the uh, the Magic, I love watching him play. Every time he gets the ball, I feel like he creates for them. He's very good for them on the uh, on the court when he gets on. He's averaging um, what is it? He's averaging thirteen, 13 and a half. Yeah, yeah, thirteen and a half right now with thirty one minutes a game. I feel like that's a lot you can ask for out of Franz Wagner coming out of um, where was he? Michigan? Was he Michigan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming out of Michigan, I would have never expected that out of him, and that's why he gives me my number five right now. All right, uh, round it off for us, Daniel. Jalen Green's my number five. Uh, he's just too explosive as a scorer. He's too too talented as an athlete and too creative with the ball in his hands to drop out of that top five. If he wasn't on that Rockets team, I don't know what this roster would look like. And they're already going to compete with the Bobcats for the worst record in history. It would be... I think they would be favored to finish with the worst record in history if not for Jalen Green. And in the long term, I think he's going to be one of the most impressive scorers in the league. I think we could see him develop into a Zach Levine type of scorer who can run an offense or play off the ball like that and can score at all three levels. I just I, I he's, don't, he's, he's gonna need about a hundred pounds of muscle. Yeah, and that's then... fair. But he's he's that kind of athlete and he's that kind of creator. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, again, going back to that conversation, well, I watched him with G League and Le- Ignite, and he just wasn't efficient. And I understand that we're talking about, what, 20 games? that He's played 18 games in the NBA season. And he's taking a lot of bad shots because they need him to take a lot of bad shots. And I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player, but when a ceiling on a guy that I think is going to be 16, 4, and 4, you know what I mean? I just I don't see it. I really don't. I mean, I, I, I hope so for the Rockets' sake because – uh, I, I want to see them succeed. It's time for them to cha- trade Christian Wood. I don't know what they're waiting around for. Don't it's tell that to John Raley. It's time for them to trade or uh, play John Wall. It's time to get out. <laughs> they just let John Wall sit down and watch the games. And, and he gets paid, paid $40 million yep. a year. That's sweet. And he wants to play. I'm, I'm a, in case you didn't know, I'm a big yeah, John Wall guy. He does not want to play there. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't. He, he wants to get bought out. All right. Uh, by the way, I misspoke. Uh, my top five, if we were keeping track, which does include Jalen Green or sheepishly was Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Josh Giddy, Green, and then Barnes. But I just I, it makes me want to put Suggs into that list uh, over Jalen Green. I don't want to come off as a Jalen Green hater. I just I don't see what makes him so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he's good for the NBA, the way yeah. I see it. Like I love watching him play and the um he just the the shots that he takes from outside and gets the entire crowd rocking, even though they're down probably what, thirty? And then yeah. He makes insane dunks, and the way he's he's able to move his body and how, how tall he is and how scrawny he is up and down the court, I love it. Before we move on to the, the next topic, and Luke, you're probably going to scream at me because you're not going to think this is a real person based on his name. Speaking of the G League Ignite, uh, he's not going to be in this coming draft. He's going to be in the next draft, uh, along with Wembanyama and Imani Bates. Which I, know, is I have no idea how to, to say his name. Shape- who am I? Are you thinking of Marjan Bochamp? I'm thinking of Marjan You're thinking of Marjan Bochamp, who's in this draft. I am talking about Scoot Henderson. 
who I don't know about Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson, seventeen-year-old point guard who will be in the twenty twenty-three draft, I believe it is, alongside Amani Bates and Victor Wembanyama for the G League Ignite is putting up twenty-two, seven and a half, and five with almost two steals per game on fifty-three percent from the floor. That's crazy, man. Um, I want to ask two more quick questions before we end the show here. Daniel, I'll start with you. I'm going to go off the board and throw you a little bit of a curveball here. We Ooh. talked about rookies that we liked. Is there a rookie that stands out to you that's been a particular disappointment early on? Disappointment early on. That's that's an interesting question. I wasn't prepared for this one. Um, Jalen Suggs has just been very... I like the way Jalen Suggs has been playing. He, yeah, he, he had a very slow start. I just don't really love everything he's brought to the table. If I'm moving past him, uh, in in the words of Kendrick Perkins, Moses Moody, uh, I thought was going to be more of an immediate contributor to the Golden State Warriors. He's playing a lot of minutes in the G League, uh, but I thought he was going to be able to come in and not necessarily uh, be like a guy getting 25 minutes a game, but I thought you could put him out there for 10 to 15 minutes a night uh, use him to space the floor and to defend, uh, but he's been getting most of his time in the G League. So well, copy-paste that about Jonathan Kaminga. That, that as well. Who I was going to pick because I loved him. He was probably my favorite player in this draft class. Uh, he, he's been getting more touches, hasn't he, Kaminga? He's in the G League, is he not? Uh, he, he's back and forth. He's back and forth? Because I was looking at their stats, and I, I didn't like think I I'd seen that he had played, played much. Because he and Muzi, uh, Moody keep going up and down. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a yo-yo. Uh, anybody that's really disappointed you, Dan? Miles McBride. No. Um, <laughs> I, I hope. Did you see the dunk he had the other? Yeah. Day? I, I hope he plays. People are talking about the dunk. They're back court, 25, like 25, 12. Their backcourt and their game. bench is just so. They need stops right so badly. Yeah. I don't want to see Jalen or Jalen Rose, Derek Rose get blown by on a nightly. Campbell Walker's been a disappointment. It, I'm not implying that he needs to come up and get 25 minutes a game. Bring him in to get three stops and then take him right out. I, that's what I think. I just got a text that there's a new bill that's been passed to lower mortgage payments and homeowners don't even need to move. Check it out now at Immortal Hasten. Com. Is that from your mom? <laughs> no, it's a spam tag. No, I know. Uh, Dan, who's disappointed you? Um, I was thinking more along the lines of the Baylor boys, uh, either Jared Butler or um, Davion Mitchell, mm-hmm. not to be confused with uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I feel, when I was watching them play last year in March Madness, they just had a they were going off, and I thought they were just having better impact coming into the uh, NBA this year. I'll say this about Mitchell, and I'll let you finish. I mean to cut you off. Um, He's playing some decently efficient ball. He's not shooting the ball well at all. But that team needs to get it together and either decide that they want to compete or trade De'Aaron and Fox and then give more minutes to him and Halliburton to play. They need to make moves, too. Like, yeah. they, I don't know. They, they just feel like a sunken ship. That Marvin just... Bagley, man. What can you say? Not a lot. Everybody not thought not that Doncic was going to be that pick. That might be the biggest waste of a man. And then they gave Buddy Heald all that money. Who, although, to be fair, he was the best shooter in the NBA for a year. And you got him, you got Fox. Yeah. Do you think there's a player on that team that like actually wants to be there at this very moment? Probably just Tyrese Halliburton because he's a Tristan good guy. Thompson. <laughs> Tristan Thompson's cool. <laughs> yeah, Tristan Thompson's doing he's work. Like, for he is. I just right need money. <laughs> he just, he's just in it for Tristan the Tristan Thompson can't play anywhere else in the league. What right is now, this, so. man? What is the scope of the NBA landscape if Luka Doncic plays for the Kings right now? If you're running out a starting lineup of De'Aaron Fox, they wouldn't have gotten Tyrese Halliburton. If De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald. Marvin Bagley would be putting up better numbers simply because he's playing with a better player. Doncic at the three. Oh, not Willie Cauley-Stein. Somebody better that they well, could have lured. Willie Cauley-Stein hasn't been there in like six years. Well, I know. Well, he was on the team at the time that they drafted. They would have drafted Bagley. That's where he got his name. For sure, that's where he got his name, though. I'll have to look it up. Uh, but I, I, I don't Willie know. Willie Cauley-Stein's playing with Luka now. 
Yes. He is. He is. Mm-hmm. Let me look at that. What what draft was that? 2018? Uh, maybe. It was my senior year of high school, I believe. All right. Uh, final question, Dan, goes to you. Uh, the off-the-radar pick, the rookie that's performing so well that you didn't include in your top five. Oh, boy. I just had all my stats pulled up. My apologies. No, you're all good. Oh, I did have a um, – I had a Josh Giddy. That's who it was. I do love but me some Josh Giddy. He's off the grid for um, someone like me who hasn't seen a lot of Thunder games. But I, I, the ones that I did see where they did beat the Lakers, Josh Giddy was passing the ball every which way. And I like the way that he moves the ball. I like the way he's pretty much a field general for the um, – or a court general, if you will, for the uh, Thunder right now because – God knows they need everything that they can get, and I like uh, I like that they went with uh, Josh Giddy, and I feel like he should have been top five for sure. Willie Colley Stein was on that team that year that they all drafted right. uh, Marvin Bagley. He started all eighty-one games he played in and averaged twelve and seven. Congrats to the Stein man. There you go. All right, Daniel, who's your under the radar pick? I'm gonna go very far under the radar. I'm gonna give you three guys that went in the second round oh, like that, that have surprised this year. Uh, that. I thought we're going to be good NBA players. I didn't think they would be good right away. Uh, starting off with the 32nd, 32nd pick in the draft, Jeremiah Robinson Earl oh, uh, yeah, from Villanova to Oklahoma City. He started 13 out of 20 games for them. He's playing 21 and a half minutes a night, averaging seven points, five and a half rebounds. The question for him at 6'8", 242, as pretty much a guy that's locked into playing the four, was he going to be able to shoot the three? And he's shooting... 38% from three on over three attempts a game. So he's really turned that part of his game on and ha- has proven he was another one of those NBA-ready guys to come out of Villanova. The next one I'm going to give you, 35th pick in the draft, Herbert Jones from Alabama to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, he's, he was never a great offensive player in college. He's a pretty good facilitator. He ran a lot of point at Alabama. Uh, but he's come in for New Orleans, and that's just a team that needs guys that'll guard, and that's what he's done. He's gotten 11 starts out of their 20 games so far. He's playing 26 minutes a game, not shooting the ball well from three, but he's not really shooting the ball from three either. Uh, he's shooting 47, almost 48% from the field, over six points a game, three rebounds, and almost two assists per game, so he's really working a- as a secondary facilitator for them so far. And the third guy I was going to give you almost forgot about and a guy that I didn't think was even going to get drafted this year, and that's Delano Banton for the the Toronto Raptors. Uh, 6'7", he ran the point at Nebraska, and I think he's really gotten a chance to handle the ball a lot so far for the Raptors. Again, I thought this was a guy that was going to go undrafted. He was going to sit in the G League all year. He's not playing a ton. He's playing 13 minutes a game, but he's played in all 22 games for the Raptors. He's scoring 4.5 points a game, 2 rebounds, 1.5 assists in 13 minutes a game. I really like Delano Banton as a long-term developmental piece as they continue to build a team out of guys between 6'6 and 6'10 that can all put the ball on the floor. Let me toss Highland into that mix, by the way. Bones Highland. Big Bones. Bones. Bones having a heck of a season. We didn't mention Chris Duarte. I know we talked about mentioning it during the break. Chris Duarte, somebody else you could throw into that mix. Um, and it's Sen- it's Sengun, right? Shengun. Shengun. Alperen Shengun. Rockets fans are going crazy over him. So I love me some Alperen Shengun. Trey Murphy the third. Going to be a better player for the Rockets than Jalen Green? Huh? Question mark. <laughs> you don't win MVP of the Adriatic League at 18 and not be anything. It's facts. And that will be the note that we end the show on. Special thanks uh, to all the people that made this show possible. My co-host, Daniel Woods, uh, Dan Schuster, who joined us here in the last segment. All the guys who made it possible. Uh, we will not be live next week because those of us will be across town at the Coliseum watching WVU do battle against those UConn Huskies. So we'll have a show previously enjoyed. We'll be back the week after that. 
This has been the Sports Page, 91.7 FM, U92.